Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are DMs After Dark, a group of friends and RPG enthusiasts who are on a quest together to try and play very cool um, indie games. Uh, tonight, we are playing Bluebeard's Bride. Uh, Bluebeard's Bride was written and developed by Whitney Strix Beltran, Marissa Kelly, and Sarah Richardson, published by Magpie Games, and it is an incredible game of feminine horror. Um, with some touches of investigative mystery in it. Uh, this is a game that is pretty unlike what we've played so far, so if you've watched our previous offerings, be prepared for something a little different. The themes in Bluebeard's Bride target the players as opposed to the characters, and they include some pretty heavy things, so I'm going to leave you all with a content warning. This content warning is not all-inclusive due to the improvisational nature of role-playing games. Some things may come up that I have failed to anticipate, but this should give you an idea of what to expect. Uh, this game may include any of the following. Violence, including violence toward children, domestic abuse, mutilation, self-harm, suicide, eating disorders, mental illness, sexual assault, rape, miscarriage, abortion, animal abuse, and body horror. Um, so if those are any subjects that you are not sure would be well for you and be, would be safe for you, there's no shame in not watching or in turning it off. Um, some people, most people have traumas. Some people process trauma by confronting it or enjoy experiencing them in these raw and direct ways. Some people do not, and that is okay. Stay safe, viewers. I am Amber. I'm going to be the groundskeeper tonight for our session. And uh, my fellow players are below, including our special guest, Deb. And if you all want to take a moment just to introduce yourself and your playbook before we get started. Who wants to start? Deb, I feel like you have to go first. You're the special guest, Deb. Deb. <laughs> sure. Special guest, Deb. Um, so uh, I'm Deb. I've been playing RPG since I'm not telling, but <laughs> probably longer than most people here have been alive exactly what um, christian said <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it and a, and a, I, I still think i am <laughs> i don't think so oh, maybe. um appropriate to my um withered agedness uh i'm going to be playing the mother uh who is the soul of selflessness but also the deliverer of punishments I would just say I like Deb, but I vote that we keep her and, and ditch Rainy. Bye. Yeah, Rainy's yes. missed too many. 100%. You're off the island. <laughs> Rainy has missed too many. Uh, I'm Christian. Uh, I am also really, really old. Uh, and, I, you know, you may have recognized me from my other roles in, in Shadows of Estrid as Dregomir. Uh, but tonight I will be playing the Fatale, uh, mostly because nobody else wanted a player. Uh, and so lucky all of you, you get to watch me be sexy for the next three hours. That's not true, Christian. I don't want to play the Fatale. No, I was like, no one wanted to play the Fatale. I know, it was just a joke, Jess. It's just a joke, just a joke. We're going up the vertical columns. I will go next. Uh, I am Sarah. Uh, tonight, I will be playing the Animus, uh, which is sort of described as the masculine portion of the woman, but also very much a uh, protector and a fighter. Uh, hi, everyone. I uh, am Jessica. I'm going to be playing the Virgin tonight, and I'm just going to read from the Virgin's playbook, and it says, uh, you see beauty where there is none. Others seek comfort in your warmth and delight in your obedience. 
Troy, you Troy, lost your audio. Oh, Troy, we can't hear you. Oh, my yeah. name is Troy. Uh, He's a professional. Be, I'm a professional. Uh, I will be playing the witch tonight, which I am excited to do. Um, I feel like it's a little bit uh, more of a, um, I don't know, a more obscure kind of approach um, to the psyche. And, uh, and yeah, I'm excited to see what I can do with it. So, yeah. You may have noticed, viewers, that tonight we are playing aspects of one character's psyche rather than individual aspects. Everybody here is playing a sister, which is a portion of the bride's mind. They are often in conflict with each other, sometimes in support, but they are all trying to keep the bride alive, much like the different coping mechanisms and parts of you that function every day, not always in your best interest. So this game's a bit different. It really gets inside the bride's head. Tonight, we're going to start with a tale. And the tale starts with a character. You are a young woman, eldest child in your family, just a couple years outside of girlhood. You were born to poor, poor parents. Your father is a farmer, your mother helps on the farm. All of your siblings have helped on the farm. You live in a rural village, a couple dozen families in it. You've never really been outside of it. And though the place is beset by poverty and the struggles that come with it, it also has a sense of community. And it's full of humble and hardworking folk. Your childhood was marked by working with your hands, lean winters with family and neighbors, and fresh apples in the autumn. And you're at the age now where your family is looking to make a good match for you. But none of the local boys have ever really caught your eye beyond maybe the occasional childhood crush until your father met Bluebeard. Your father was in the common house um, one day after a long day's work preparing for the harvest when a mysterious stranger came in dressed in finery. Your father, always the hospitable, welcoming man, offered to buy Bluebeard a drink. They sat at the bar and they got to talking and your father found him to be smart, intellectual, charming. He told him of his wild adventures across the world and his grand estates. And your father was quite pleased with this man, really taken with him, found him exciting and interesting. And when your father returned home, he told you about him. And he told you that he would really like for you to meet him. Your curiosity, tempered by some skepticism, you agreed to appease your father. And the next day you went down to the common house, the inn where Bluebeard was staying. And as you walked through the door, the light of the setting sun just sort of caught you for a moment, outlining your figure, capturing your hair in the warm glows of the fading autumn sun. And you met Bluebeard's eyes across the room. And in that moment, there was an instant connection. You know that this man is like no man you've ever met before. And he seemed to know the same about you. He pulled out a chair for you, welcomed you to sit, bought you drinks and dinner, you talked for hours. You talked about everything and Bluebeard listened. He listened to your hopes, your dreams, your interests, things that had been called girlish fancies by your family before. Bluebeard didn't seem to mind. And though at first you were anxious that your humble origins and education would embarrass you, but Bluebeard found it real, charming in a way. He seemed to get you. When you returned home, 
your father was ecstatic that you had gotten on so well um, and quickly told your family about how well the dinner had gone and his hopes for you and this family with Bluebeard. And he seemed to have been on the right track because the next day, Bluebeard came to your home with fresh wildflowers for you. Uh, your family invited him to stay for dinner, and he did. He mostly talked to your parents at this dinner. You and your younger siblings were kind of quiet, offering polite input here and there when appropriate. And as you were setting the dinner with your mother's finest heirloom china, one of the very few things of value you have in your home, you dropped a plate on the table. It didn't break, but your mother sort of snapped. She scolded you a bit for being clumsy. She told you, girl, be more mindful. But Bluebeard picked up the plate and held it out to you. And he said, we all drop things sometimes. And in that moment, your mother was put in her place just a little bit. And you don't recall that often. You're so used to being the child around her. You stood a little taller, your shoulders back a little. The respect from this man seemed to contradict what your mother had originally jumped to. And that felt good. After dinner, Bluebeard went for a walk with your father. You could only imagine what they were talking about strolling through the orchards while you stayed inside cleaning up the kitchen. And when your father returned, he tried to keep a straight face, but this man has never been good at hiding news for all of three seconds before his grin betrayed, uh, betrayed his secrets. And he said Bluebeard had asked his permission for your hand in marriage. And your father told you, though, he would be delighted and want nothing more than for you to leave this humble, these humble origins for something finer, something safer, something better with someone who you love, that it was your choice and he would never wed you against your will. There are many things on your mind as you pondered that over. You thought about the poor harvest this year and your younger sibling's troublesome cough and the depth of Bluebeard's eyes. You'd never seen the ocean, but you imagined looking into the blue of Bluebeard's eyes would be very like stepping into the sea. You'd never seen much of anything beyond a pond. And that promise hung heavy on your mind. You said yes. Mother. What does the bride's figure look like? Bride is slim and girlish. She's often called graceful in her form. And what do others wish was different about it? Often she's told that people wish she was more feminine with the larger breasts, more hip. Animus, what are the bride's hands like? They are small due to her figure, but her palms and fingertips betray a life of work with calluses, pinpricks from different plants and thorns of someone who works with their hands day in, day out. What weakness do you give away when others hold your hand? That physically, although I do a lot of work, I am still small. 
and there is a lot that could easily overpower me. Hey Tao, what does the bride's mouth look like? It's heart-shaped with very, very red lips and uh, they're very plump. And uh, when she smiles, she's got the slightest crooked smile. How do others keep her quiet? They can't, I only let them think they can. Which, what is the bride's hair like? Typically the bride's hair um, is a little unkempt from the type of work that she does around the farm. She always has, uh, she always seems to have a few strands of hair that stick to her forehead um, as it's covered in, you know, perspiration from the hard work. Um, yeah, and it's also, uh, it's a light blonde. How do others like you to wear it? Others, uh, Bluebeard in particular, um, really loved when she put her hair up. Virgin, what do the bride's eyes look like? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> oh, um, a very light pale green, almost gray, that kind of transitions from um, just like a pale green to gray. Yes, you have to speak up a little bit. I don't think the mic picked you up. Did you get that? Am I better? Am I louder? You're better, yeah. Sorry. How do others know you want them? when they gaze into your eyes. Hmm. It's in the long, silent stare. Maybe just yeah. a little bit too long. Mother, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? My brothers and sisters. I was sort of like a second mother to them as the eldest, and I love to care for them. And I know that we'll miss each other deeply. Animus, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? Honest work. I've, I've always felt that what my family does is important, not just for us, but for those around us. And leaving a life of honest work to a life of luxury is something that's always going to be strange to me. Hey, Tal, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? The neighbor boy. Uh, he, was, he wasn't very exciting, but he was really nice and I could tell he liked me. And uh, maybe in another life, he would have been good to me. Which, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? I would say the uh, comfort of a community that I've known for all my life. Um, 
kind of as Christian alluded to, there wasn't much about my day to day that was very exciting, um, but it was home and it was comfortable. Virgin, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? I think simplicity, just the simple beauties that were around here for something more exciting and complex, but there's a loss in that too. Mother, when you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? He went out into the orchard overnight and did all the picking he could so that I could spend the next day with him. Animus, when you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? We went out originally planning on going for a walk, but he surprised me because he had uh, paid to rent out two of our neighbor's horses for the day for us to go riding together and had paid our neighbors much more than he needed to to rent the horses. Fatal. When you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? He allowed me to ride his prized stallion that he just got that was barely trained. And I surprised him by being able to control it. Look at Christian taking control from the beginning. Virgin, when you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? Um, his care for not just me, but for our family, right? He paid for um, kind of the my six siblings kind of getting better doctor care that my family could have a better home and have their needs taken care of if there was a bad harvest, just his care for my family in addition to myself. And which, when you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? What was that? <laughs> um, sorry. The, uh, the first time that I met him at the common house, um, when our eyes connected and I felt like I got lost in that beautiful, um, like ocean depths almost, uh, he kind of broke that moment of silence, uh, by gently, uh, brushing a few strands of hair out of my face. Mother, what gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding, and why did you choose it? I gave him a baby blanket that my mother had stitched together from scraps. It had been mine, and I gave it to him in the hopes that it would be for our children. Animus, what gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding 
And why did you choose this? It was a dagger in a decorative sheath. One of the few luxurious things I had allowed myself uh, because I convinced myself it also had practical purpose. It was something I had picked up at a neighbor's rummage sale a few years back. And I offered it in the hopes that it would still be there to protect us and our family in the future as it protected me. Hey Tao, what gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding and why did you choose it? I presented him with the apron that I used to wear as I worked a lot on the family farm. And I chose it because it represented to me the life that I used to leave that I was giving up to be with him. Virgin, what gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding and why did you choose it? Um, flower seeds, including some of the flowers that he had given to us. Um, something that uh, I think that we can plant and grow around his house and in the garden to add beauty to his mansion. Which, what gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding and why did you choose it? I gave to Bluebeard a palm reading. Um, it is something very exotic that I had once um, had done to me. And I felt like as a man of refinery and uh, exotic, I guess, world experiences, he would appreciate that. Mother, do you trust your generous new husband, Bluebeard, or do you hold unkind suspicions, and why? I absolutely trust him. He's been kind to my family, and he's been generous even in our neighborhood. I have no reason to think that he would wish anybody any harm, least of all me. Animus, do you trust your generous new husband, Bluebeard? Or do you hold unkind suspicions? And why is that? For the most part, I do trust him. He has shown himself to be very loving and caring. However, as a rule that I've followed since I was a little girl, I rarely hold anyone in complete trust. The only people that have my full trust in this world are my little siblings. Fatal, do you trust your generous husband, Bluebeard, or do you hold unkind suspicions and why? No, I, uh, I have the fear that he's more dangerous than the stallion that he let me ride, uh, but that's what excited me about him, and I think that I can control him too. Virgin, do you trust your generous husband, Bluebeard, or do you hold unkind suspicions, and why is that? Um, I trust him. I have no reason to doubt.
Finally, which? Do you trust your generous husband, Bluebeard, or do you hold unkind suspicions, and why is that? I would say it's a little mixed, and I'm not sure yet. The palm reading that I gave to him indicated some potential dangers, but because I'm not very experienced at it, um, I'm okay with chalking it up to maybe I made a mistake. And the second thing is when I got lost in his eyes that were as deep as the ocean, something about that seemed beautiful, but it's also very easy to drown. Next, we're gonna establish some sisterly bonds. You have been with your sisters all your life. Some stages of your life, some have been louder than others, but at all times they have been there. Mother, you know best and try to guide your wayward sisters, but blank irritates you with their obstinance. Explain a time they undermined your authority. Fatal bothers me because she's always trying to lead us into doing inappropriate things that are really only meant for producing children. Oh, but there's so much fun, Mother. <laughs> you trust Blank to have your back. Explain the time they supported you in a time of need. I trust Animus to have my back because I know that she has the strength because I've seen it in how she protects our little brothers and sisters. Animus, you hold yourself apart from your sisters, but Blank is the only one who soothes you. Explain a time they calmed your rage. Virgin. She has, after long fights with our parents, been the one to basically kind of pull me back and ground me in reality and would basically walk me through our fields and reminding me of the beauty in the world that we've helped create. You are envious of blank. Explain why you can never compare to them. I'm envious of the fatale. She is more, she is the epitome of what I have always been told a woman should be graceful, seductive, good with people, good with her words. I'm too clumsy with my words, too brash, too forceful. Fatal, your sisters are who they are, boring and predictable, but Blank has no idea of a woman's true power. Explain Vir why you wish to teach her. Virgin. If Virgin could just see the world the way it is, she would know that she could have anything that she wants. She just has to make some compromises to have that. Can you say that statement one more time? I'm sorry. I said if Virgin no, no, no. would just- the, the, oh. the reading statement. Oh, I'm Your sorry. sisters are who they are, boring and predictable, but Virgin has no idea of a woman's true power. And if you could just see the way the see the way the world is the way it is and make some compromises, you could have it all. Okay. You try to draw in blank with your seductive aura, 
Explain how you hide your insecurities from her. I try to draw in animus because she's so strong and fierce and she can never, ever, ever realize how scared I am. And that a lot of times I'm just making this up as I go along. Virgin, you trust your sisters for the most part, but blank blackens your innocence with her every word. Explain how she became your enemy. I'm going to say, I think animus with her constant um, quick to action and her constant reasoning, um, her lack of hope. Um, I think it always kind of clashes with mine. Blank often helps you play tricks on others. Explain a time when she was your ally in mischief. I'm going to say, hmm. I want to lean towards Fatal, but I also feel like the witch hasn't been used very much. You can take a moment to think about it. It's a narrative that takes time to craft. Yeah. Does anyone have any suggestions? Sisters. <laughs> I someone on mute has some suggestions. The witch certainly I like, I mean, has, yeah, I know. has that how mischief you, quality. Yeah, how would you help me play tricks on others that I would see? If, if you play? pick me, it will play in very well, I promise. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm asking you for your help of why I would pick you. Um, I would say because I am not afraid to challenge tradition and maybe norms. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I'm going to say, okay, then I will go with the witch. Um, because she makes, you know, unique and interesting choices that helps me create kind of new hope and new possibilities in different places. Well done, Jess. Thanks for your help. New possibilities. And finally, which your sisters are not nearly as important as power, but blank is a useful tool. Explain how they helped your pursuit of blasphemous craft. The virgin is a useful tool to me because her uh, naivety makes her easily manipulated. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That's why I'm your friend, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Blank draws evil into her. Explain what you have done to keep that evil at bay. The mother draws evil into her. And the only thing I have been able to do to keep that evil at bay from me is to hide behind the rest of my sisters. All right. The final part of character creation is you have three statistics, blood, carnality, and resilience. One of them is already filled out for you. That plus one is deeply related to your archetype. To the other two, you must assign one zero and one negative one. Blood is kind of like your dark magic. 
the mystery about you, your personal connection to horror and your ability to embrace it. Carnality is your capacity for violence and explosive action. And resilience is your resistance to terrible things. I have a negative one to resilience, just so everyone knows. I have a plus one to resilience, just so everyone knows. I'm flatline on resilience. I'm going to break first, guys. Take care of you. The no, final step of character creation. And terrify the rest of you. <laughs> That's true, right? Whoever breaks gets to join as yeah. a helper. Yeah, yeah. That's the little hmm. minion. The uh, last choice for you to make here with your character is to choose your face. You may do that secretly. Most of you have already done so and let me know. Just reaffirm, circle it on your sheet. That is your face move. Most of them can be used. Um, when you are when you don't have the ring some of them if they require a physical action to provoke if you're not in control of the body you would be unable to do it some of them are passive they happen when other things happen okay we have our bride so the wedding was planned in just a few days and it was the affair of the century for your provincial village Wagons of food and drink and decor arrived and carriages of servants and tailors and performers. Your humble apple orchard was transformed with silks and ribbons and wildflowers and roses. The whole village feasted and danced to renowned performers and farmer Wayland's fiddle. You, heard, you had champagne, something you've never had before, but you found you rather liked. And it helped take the edge off the surprise when Bluebeard leaned toward you at dinner and told you with his deepest apologies that you would have to be leaving right after the wedding. The champagne made the tearful goodbyes a little easier, as did your family's promises to come and visit you soon, as soon as they could. But before you knew it, you were in a fine carriage being whisked away to your new life. It really began to settle in then that everything had changed and your thoughts turned toward the excitement and the fear of what lie ahead of you. But surely your new husband would be the kind and generous man that you knew him to be. and. As you pensively stared out the window, heart flutter with thrills and a touch of chill, Bluebeard held your hand and invited you to lean upon his shoulder. You'd had perhaps too much champagne because you soon fell asleep and you slept all through the night. You did not wake till morning when the carriage was heading up the long road to Bluebeard's manor. And you've seen something you hadn't even imagined in the fairy tales you'd once been told. His manor was absolutely massive. You, you thought, surely it must be a castle, a place for kings and emperors, not for one man, not for you. There were countless glittering windows, spiraling towers and parapets, sprawling gardens, a fountain in the front. Everything glittered. It was beautiful, perfectly manicured. There must be a hundred rooms. Your heart beats faster as you approach the gate and the driver pulls the carriage out to a stop right in front of the door. Bluebeard opens the door for you himself and offers you his hand, helping you down the steps. A man comes from inside the house dressed in crisply pressed livery and says, excuse me, uh, apologies, uh, apologies, miss. I need to talk with you, he says to your new husband. 
Bluebeard's expression gets a little tight as he regards the butler, maybe? But he turns to you and his expression softens. He takes your hand and he says, I'll be with you in just a moment. My men will get your bags. Please, please go inside. And he walks off with the man in livery. The carriage driver gathers your things and leads you to the house. He opens the front doors and you are in a beautiful, clean, glittering foyer. There's a double set of sweeping wooden stairs, all gloss and finish. The air smells sweet like fresh flowers and maybe that's freshly baked bread from a kitchen's. Your stomach rumbles a little bit. Not really knowing what to do, you sort of linger there until your husband returns to your side. His face is a bit grim. It holds an apology. He walks up to you and he says, I am so sorry, my dear, but I have desperate business I must attend. I have to leave right away. I'm so sorry that I could not give you a proper welcoming or wedding night, but we will remedy that when I return. He holds out to you a set of keys and offers them. While I am away, you are the master of my house. All of my servants, my goods, my finery, this entire building is yours to command and to manage. I would ask only that you do not go into my private study. It is the one room I keep for myself. I would ask that you would respect my wishes as I would respect yours. And he hands you the keys. And with that, he departs with the man in livery. He walks outside, gets back into the carriage. You hear the snap of the driver's whip, the clop of their hooves, the wheel crunching on gravel. And your new husband, as quickly as he swept you off your feet, leaves you standing in this foyer with nothing but a set of keys and a butler. Mother, what do you do? I will turn to the butler and ask, where is my bedroom? Oh, pardon, lady. Your, your things have already been brought up to your rooms. It's on the second floor, the largest set of doors. I will climb those stairs and start looking for that set of doors. Walk up the set of stairs. They're quite sturdy. They don't creak at all under your steps. The gloss of the polished banister is smooth and warm beneath your hand. But as you climb higher, it seems a little darker up here than you'd expect. The bottom floor is brightly lit. There are plenty of sconces and chandeliers. But the hallway you find yourself standing atop has a little bit of gloom in the corners of the tall ceilings. And you see before you a massive hall of doors, seemingly endless doors with a beautiful stained glass rose window at the end of the hall. You look to and fro, they're all quite large, the largest set of doors. Perhaps that means something to a more sophisticated girl, but to you, it's a little bit of a gamble. What do you do? I will step up to the first door on my left and look through my keys and see if I can find a key that will fit in the lock. Describe the key you choose. It has the head of a rabbit on the loop. Uh, it seems to be made of aged metal. And the 
teeth look like yellowed curved rabbit teeth. That's so cool. Oh, you set the bar really high, Dad. Crap. I know, Della. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Fatal, what's the key look like? Ah, it's like brass and like, I don't a know. A key shaped. It's got like hard plastic. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Hulk key you go and you buy and they just grind it for you down at Home Depot. Like, <laughs> yeah, it looks like this. Yeah. Butter, you slip the key into the lock. It glides in smoothly and turns the tumblers. You open the door and you see before you a broad room, much darker than the rooms around it, but there is a warm roaring fire in the fireplace. This room is all dark wood paneling, glossy wood floors and wooden leather furniture. It's dark, robust, masculine. The smell of wood smoke and tobacco fill the air. There's a bearskin rug by the fire and adorning the walls and on different pedestals set into corners are all kinds of trophies. There's the head of a great stag with a massive rack of antlers looming over the fireplace. Toward one corner, there's a stuffed bobcat descending a little rock fall. There are stuffed wolves on the other side, rabbits, pheasants, all manner of beasts in the wild perch on different shelves and watch you. You enter the room. The door closes behind you. What do you do? I am going... Go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. You first. And sisters, by the way, you can always be chiming in. This is a new experience for all of you. Go ahead, Deb. You first. I'm just going to start idly walking around the room looking at the different creatures. You sort of begin to trail around the room, looking at different creatures set on marble mantle places. There are pheasants, an owl with glinting glass eyes looming at you from a perch. That bobcat in the corner looks so alive, the motion captured, frozen in time, looks so realistic to you. You've, you've seen dead animals before, your family hunted to survive in times of lean winters. You've made use of fur, bone, antler, and certainly the meat, but there's an artistry to this that is unfamiliar to you. Your shoes make little taps on the polished floor as you circle. Your eye is drawn to a tall, carved, glossy liquor cabinet in one corner. Sisters, thoughts on your new environment? Surely one drink wouldn't hurt. We just got here. <laughs> it's our home now. Yeah, and we should explore it with a sober head. Also, yeah. first thing in the morning. Oh, God, you're so boring, Mother. <laughs> Everything looks perfectly in place except... It looks like one of the feathers fell off of that pheasant. Do you want to look at it? You should look at it. Maiden moves are available to everyone, even if you don't have the ring, one of which is investigate a mysterious object. Oh, yeah. All right. I, I guess I'll, uh, it piqued my interest. I'm going to go and investigate the pheasant feather. I'll pick it up. Pheasant feather. The, the pheasant feather catches your eye. And you go in to look at it. 
you can ask two of the investigative mysterious object questions. If you don't have that on you right now, those questions are, whose item is this? What memories does this item hold? What about this item is odd or uncanny? Why did Bluebeard keep this item? Um, let's see. I would like to ask first, why Bluebeard kept this item? Looking around you, you, you can't help but feel the strong masculine energy in this room. And you know that these things, they're tokens to his prowess at hunting, killing, providing. You've only known your new husband for a few days, but you're almost certain that it was his hand, his aim, that ended all these little lives here. So hot. Um, what memories does this item hold? Turn the feather over in your fingers and you feel it still has that grip. The little tines and the feathers still fit nicely together. It makes a little whoosh as you draw your fingers over it and you ponder the bird that it came from. It's in flight, frozen that way forever, ascending, reaching toward the sky. It's never going to make it though. It's a flight you know is cut short. You can imagine the pounding of its heart startled just before it died. Probably just grazing, just pecking along at the ground, scratching in the brush. Perhaps it had chicks nearby. Potential cut off before it's in it. Sisters, if we may, I'd like to look at the trophies that he has. Are they trophies as in like competition chair, like, like metal trophies or are they trophies as in like animal heads? Kind of animal heads. You oh, can tell from the arrangement, some of these are more decorative than others, a rabbit, a pheasant, a fox. Some of these items are truly brag pieces, the bearskin rug, the bobcat, the wolves. Hmm. Can we look at the bearskin rug then? You walk closer to the fire. It's warmth, so inviting crackling away and you look at this absolutely massive pelt it's a brown bear you don't actually see many of them around here if at all you've heard of them you've heard hunters and trappers who've come through talking about close encounters with brown bears much larger than the black bears you're familiar with but you've never seen one jaws are absolutely massive it looks like it could fit your entire head in in those jaws and just snap your skull and there's something intimate about the teeth and the way the fire glints off of them and the red tongue, surely fake and adornment. There's almost a savagery in its eyes as the firelight catches the glass. And you smell the must of fur and animal lingering in the air. And at first you think it's just remnants of all these creatures, but it doesn't smell dusty. It smells kind of fresh. I guess I will also ask what memories does this item hold? As you contemplate the bear, the absolutely massive width of its jaws, the enormous paws fanned out on the, <laughs> fanned out on the floor on either side of it. You can imagine the, the lump 
where the rug doesn't sit quite fat, flat because of the huge hump of its powerful shoulders. And you imagine that this animal is probably very unlike the pheasant. You wouldn't think the bear would have run, probably would have squared off with the hunter. Hunters, it's hard to imagine that one man could break down an animal so fierce. And yet, fight as it did for however long it did, through exhaustion or blood loss, just pure attrition, this animal is now a place for Bluebeard to rest his feet on a cold winter's night. Or we could do other things there, Virgin. <laughs> Lots of beautiful things, I'm sure. That smell of fur, animal musk, it's strong. It's getting pungent. It's starting to overwhelm that smell of tobacco and leather and oils. didn't think that the heat would bring that smell out. These guys, these all look old, right? Like they've been, I mean, they must have been dead for some time if you had to taxidermy them. Dead Close my old. eyes and listen. Which you begin focusing on your senses. Mother still has the ring and the body. But part of you is paying special attention to your senses the sound of the crackling fire, that strong pungent smell of animal growing stronger and damper. And under the sound of the crackling fire, you hear the rasp of breath, deep chested. Somewhere in this room, breathing, waiting. Mother, what do you do? I am going to think that there might be something still alive in here and pass the ring to Animus because she's got the strength to deal with this. Okay. <laughs> Nervously. I love the ring You've got this, Animus. She is voluntarily giving up the ring, which is a little different than Shiver and Fear, passing it to Animus. Mother, you're immune to trauma until the Animus passes the ring. Okay. You're in charge. So... So you can do... Go ahead. I was just going to say, just remember, you can do both ring moves and I think maiden moves too. Yes, you can still do maiden moves while you have the ring. Yeah. yeah. Is there a way I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to use the maiden move, take stock. Take stock. Uh, and I am ask going one. to uh, ask, uh, what stalks the bride from the shadows? That is what I'm trying to figure out. What is the witch hearing? and what made the mother kind of push me forward. Animus, your adrenaline is starting to kick in. You heard that rasp of breath and part of you says, there's no way these creatures are alive or there's anything in here. You would have seen it. There's not many places to hide. But you turn in place about the room, looking, and that silvery feeling of adrenaline starts in your gut. It's a feeling you know well. It's a feeling you've gotten when you've squared off in a fierce fight with your mother or your father. It's a feeling that you've gotten when you've been thrown from a horse. 
that silvery metallic taste touches your gums a little bit. There's a sudden sharp pain low in your stomach. Fades quickly, but you feel a little bit of a warmth seeping. I look down to see if you I hear can... a low growl in the shadows. Everything's fine. If I look down at where I felt it, was is there anything there? Something hot and sticky runs down the inside of your leg. And you think, oh no, not now. (laughs) You hear. (laughs) There's a large high-backed chair and a man's hand slaps the floor out from behind it. Muscular arm following. Shoulder, shirt sleeve rolled, rough, flannel. And then the face. It's a man, young man. But his jaws are rent apart, impossibly wide, so wide his lips are the tiniest stretch of pink and the corners of his mouth are split to accommodate the huge lupine muzzle thrust out of his mouth. His eyes water, but they glint the bright amber yellow of a wolf. That muzzle coming from his mouth lowers to the floor, snuffling. You see the drool drip, 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 like the drip between your legs. (laughs) It sniffs, raises its head toward you. Animus, what do you do? Uh, I am going to dirty yourself, dirty myself with violence. I'm going to try and just punch it and leave. All right. Roll 2d6 and add your carnality. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) That's a four. Animus? It shocks you. It comes out slow, but the shock of seeing something alive even, not even the horror that its true form is, but just something alive in this room when you had thought you were alone, you lash out, throw a fist downward at the man thing. And you miss. It shrinks back, ears, wolf ears poking out of the head of hair turn back and it lunges at you, knocks you to the floor. You're a small girl, you're frail. And he climbs upon you, his hands on your hips and buries that wolf-like muzzle between your legs toward the scent of blood, snuffling, growling. What do you do? Cast him into the fire. Um... If that didn't work, if fighting it didn't work, I'm going to cry out for help. Go ahead and roll plus resilience. Okay, okay, that's an eight. An eight. 
You scream. Please help in a panic. You're always used to being so strong, to taking action, but he's so much larger than you. And that mouth with all those teeth are so very near. The door flings open and a man comes in. He's the butler, older man, balding on the top, but very, very neatly pressed uniform. Runs into the room and he says, shoo, get out of here. And the beast turns, pants its head at him and then crawls back behind that high backed chair. The butler runs to you. What are you doing, girl? I, I was looking for the bedroom. I couldn't find it. I was hoping you'd have more sense. Get up, get up. Just kind of stands up. This up. is no place for a lady. There's nothing for you here. Of course, I, thank you. Um, what were you looking for here? As I said, I was looking for the bedroom. When I found this place, I thought I would look around and see the successes that my husband has made. I mean, I've, I've helped my family with hunting before, so it was very nice to see. Yeah, Animus, show me not useless. Yes, well, tell them the truth, yeah. The master is a man of many talents, but he does like people to respect his things. Come now, clean yourself up. Thank you. Can you direct me towards a washroom? There is a washroom down the hall. It's the third door on the left. I will give you a moment to compose yourself. He leaves the room. Is the door still open or has it closed? He's shut it to protect your privacy. He is a gentleman after all. How about that drink? <laughs> Might be time to propose a truce what? to yeah. get out of here. Wait, yes. what, what happened to the creature thing? Is it gone? Is it still here? Oh, it's behind the chair. It had moved back behind the chair. You no longer hear it in that smell of animal musk and fur seems to have faded and okay. gotten a dusty quality to it. Yeah. But you're a bit of mess. Your skirts are askew and you can feel that, that embarrassing warm stickiness between your legs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to propose a truth. What is your truth, Animus? The fact that I saw whatever that was and that the butler also clearly saw it and sent it away and it listened to him means that there is something going on here that I don't know. Something that was not disclosed to me and the way the butler spoke to me was demeaning to say the least. There's something going on here that I don't know and I don't like it. All right, sisters, input. 
Is the animus's truth in the right direction or is she missing something? I knew he was dangerous. She's right, you're right. This is obviously a room that is manly. And if some strange deformed creature happens to serve in the house, at least the butler can keep it in line and maybe he's right. We shouldn't have been here in the first place. It's true, we came here. We were looking for the bedroom, but we came into this room and we don't actually know what the the creature wanted or what it was doing here. What head do you not see on a mantle? Remember whose feet rest on this bare fur rug. Animus, you can stick with your truth, elaborate on it, or change it from your sister's input. It is your truth. There is no wrong answer. I mean, I think you're right that something weird is going on here. And I think you're right that that butler was pretty demeaning for an accident that we did. There's always fear in the unknown, but we have protection if we're with Bluebeard. That's true. That is also something that this room kind of shows, right? That he is strong, he's hunted, he's fought things. And if we're something he cherishes, then maybe he'll protect us too, like he's protected our community and our family. We better make sure he doesn't stop cherishing us then. Do we have a reason to believe that he would? I don't know. Do you want to risk it? I don't want to risk anything. I think the fire's dying low and we should get to the washroom. All right. Animus, I... the final truth is yours, as well as what you would like to take as a token, and whether it is a token for your faithfulness or disloyalty. After listening to my sisters, maybe I was a little too crash a little too quick to react maybe there were things that i just don't understand because of where i come from maybe once bluebeard comes home since we've had so many nice intellectual conversations before maybe this is one we just didn't have yet so i will listen to the advice of my sisters and take a token of loyalty token of loyalty what do you take from the room? Oh, we take something from the room? Yep, you can take a physical object as your token of faithfulness. It's abstract. Don't worry about the practical means of carrying it. It's just something you have found meaningful in this room to remind you of your time here and the lessons you have taught, not I... the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the butler. <laughs> something from um, the wolves, maybe? The feather would be good. I was thinking the feather. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. I, I take the the feather that the witch first alerted my attention to when we first started kind of learning, you know, exploring the room because it kind of shows, you know, how, you know, he's able to provide, but there's also all this, you know, preciseness to it and how clean the feather was and all that. Unscathed. Take the yes. crisp pheasant feather with you. 
walk to the door, the knob turns, and you exit into the hall. You're once again confronted by this hall of many, many doors. The butler had said the third door on the left, but third door from the start? Third door from this door? He seems nowhere to be found. You're alone again, and the sun is oddly low through that rose window. Could be a trick of the light of the reds and oranges and pinks in the stained glass, but it looks later than it should be. Did we take any trauma, by the way? Oh, snap. Yes, um, oh, that would be... <laughs> My bad. That would be one trauma to the animus from the hound's attack. And correct, make sure, correct me if I'm wrong, we all start with one trauma marked. You do not. That was a misprint no. on the sheet. Your sheet may have printed with some bubbles filled or not filled. That is just a weird thing with the, um, with how it prints. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um. Oh, and when you take trauma animus, you can choose whether you take that trauma alone or whether that is something you share with all your sisters. How did it affect you? You're strong, you got this. I yeah, she's gonna she's gonna take it alone. Um because it was she feels that it was her fault. She couldn't send it off. I mean it's good as all supposed to be the strong one. We'll do better cheering for you next time. More pep from the sidelines. <laughs> oh go. How much Got how much trauma is it? Just one. Is it one? Yeah. One. One. Okay. Starting you slow. <laughs> merciful, Fun merciful. Oh, so it, there's the potential to take more than one in like a. You can generally take up to three from a single event. event. Oh, that's big. Yeah. Go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. We're already looking, home. Looking down the hall, trying to get my bearings, uh, she'll just kind of. Mother, is it third from this door or third from the start? It's the same because this is the first door on the left. Got him, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> so she'll go to the third one. Hoping to find the washroom. <laughs> Strong. Animus. Good memory. Good Describe lock. the key you reach for. Um, it is, it's not a metal, actually, it's a clear plastic, um, and the only, it looks like a normal key, but you can also see, um, remnants of a lot of fingerprints on it from use. You reach for the strange clear key, press it into the lock, it glides in smoothly, the tumblers turn. You open the door and enter a washroom. This room is defined by white and glass. There's beautiful marble floor floors with slightly blue-gray veins in them. A huge gleaming clawfoot tub, sparkling porcelain, and an absolutely massive mirror standing before a vanity that has soaps towels, brushes, grooming implements, all laid out upon it, all gleaming, straight, laid out precisely just so. What do you do? Good job you found the washroom. That logic was right. 
mother. <laughs> that's all mother. Yeah, yeah thanks, Ooh. mom. Animus, look at your mom. That's what moms are for. Mom has to be able to count to keep track of all those kids. <laughs> uh, at the at the fatales, uh, negging, uh, she will turn and look in the mirror just to kind of see, like, assess the damage. You look in the mirror and you are a bit a mess. Your hair is usually a little bit unruly, but a bit more has escaped. Some pieces around the front, the little wisps on the back of your neck are all undone, larger tendrils here and there. And you know how much Bluebeard likes it when you wear your hair up. You're a little pale everywhere but your cheeks and throat, which are a little flushed. You have had quite an event. And though no blood is seeping through your skirts, you can only imagine what is under them. We should get cleaned up. Yeah. Um... I can we actually, I'm sorry, can can we interact with the room if we don't have the key? You can use any of the maiden moves if you don't have the ring. So you can okay. like you can because um the person holding the ring, the yeah, animus so, right now is in charge of the body, but you are all part of the bride's mind. So anything mm-hmm. she has laid eyes on, you are seeing and interpreting as well. <clears throat> so yeah, investigative so, maiden moves are that part of your mind noticing details. Can I can I make the effort to start putting my hair up? You can ask the animus too. Yes, you can ask. She is in control of your body, though. Animus, we a hot mess. Let's uh, let's tidy up a bit. Look awful. We need to look better than this. You can also ask your sister for the ring. That is the thing you can always be asking. Where should we, you should give me the ring because <laughs> that is something. You know you what? Definitely you don't know what to. you're doing. Just give me the ring. That's actually what I was gonna do. I did. I'm, so she's gonna. She'll. I'm gonna pass the ring to the fatal because she's way better at doing our hair and just the whole self-care thing in general that I am. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. I help provide. She keeps us looking good. (laughs) Ita, you have the ring. You're in a state. (laughs) I will begin uh, down low, first of all, uh, because that's very uncomfortable. And then uh, then I'll worry about the hair afterwards. First, we'll wash up. You begin cleaning up. Your wedding dress is beautiful beautiful lace in the patterns of lilies and silks and layers and layers and layers. Um, It is a bit of an ordeal to get into and out of enough to deal with the mess below. And surely enough, your monthly visitor has arrived unexpected and left quite a mess. You're completely unprepared. Your bags are somewhere in this room. And you have the vanity at your disposal. Get a bit of blood on your fingers as you're dealing with your undergarments clawfoot tub, vanity, so much white and so much red on you. What a mess. Well, I mean, we have servants now to clean these things up. So I'm going to just use some of the towels and the vanity. There must be something somewhere around. Yep, there are folded towels, all fluffy and white and pure. <laughs> well, Fatal, we, should, we, should we should take off our dress first so that we don't- Of edit. course. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah. Make sure that I don't ruin the wedding dress. Yeah. Yeah. You begin uh, attempting the ordeal that is unlacing <laughs> yourself from this. Not quite as flexible as you had hoped, reaching all those ties and laces. And then there's the corset underneath. Um, told you to you're go fighting with it, <laughs> it starts to feel a bit warmer. Maybe it's because you're 
struggling to get out of this and it is an exercise in and of itself, but your skin's growing damp. You're feeling a bit flushed. Ooh. I'll uh, run a little cold water. And there is indeed a hot and cold tap, like you had once heard of. Refresh yeah. myself a little bit, a little bit behind the ears. Splash some water, some water on your face, and you notice that steam. The air is actually filling with humidity. There's a little bit of steam in this room. You're running the cold tap. You don't know where it could be coming from. Well, shit. Uh, I'm going to look at my moves. Huh. I'm going to take stock. Taking stock. Ask a question. The stock I'm going to take is what does this place demand of the bride? You look around the room, the steam kind of filling the place, how neat and clean and orderly it is. And you imagine its function is to make you the same. You need to get yourself together. You need to make sure your skin is pristine and floorless like this marble. You need to make sure that your hair is back and in order and in place so the light can glint off of it the way it does the porcelain of the tub. You seem out of place here and you need to get yourself in order. Okay, I will immediately redouble my efforts and just, you know, not worry about how hot or uncomfortable I am. I'm just going to try to get as proper and beautiful as I possibly can, as quickly as possible. All right, and you have several tools at your disposal. There's all kinds of brushes, makeups, face cloths, lotions and fragrances that you have never even seen before displayed on this vanity. First There's thing I'll also do a knife, a straight razor, folded, sitting tucked away. Everything here seems very feminine to you, fragrances, loofahs, lotions, soaps, brushes. But that silver knife seems to stick out. I'm gonna pick that up. And pick, that up. pick it up in the knife. Always pick up a knife. And I am going to- Yeah, <laughs> true, true, true. I'm gonna investigate, investigate it, investigate a mysterious object. Ask your questions. Whose item is this and what memories does it leave behind? Oh, what does it hold? I'm sorry. What memories does it hold? Nice. You open it up and it, it is a straight razor. It's a razor meant for a man to shave. It's silver and very fine. There's no tarnish or anything marring it. And it looks robust. There's not a lot of uh, filigree or decoration or curves on it. It's, it's fine. It's wealthy, but it's straightforward, and it reminds you a lot of your husband's style in dress and demeanor. And your other question was, what memories does this item hold? Mm -hmm. You imagine this is an odd place for this razor to get to. You don't think Bluebeard uses this restroom. So someone must have taken it here. Someone who would be used to using these facilities, someone who's long, Pale blonde hair matches the hair wound into the brush on the vanity. Mm. <laughs> I do not like that. Uh, can I? Can we also investigate an object? So, can we investigate the hair? And absolutely. 
Uh, whose item is this? Can, can I the also? The item was already covered. It's Bluebeard's. It matches his style. No, no, no. The hair. Oh, the hair. The, Got you. On the brush. Yeah. Can I also, um, you said that the room was kind of filling up with uh, steam. It is. Um, I, if I can simultaneously do this, if not, obviously address Jess's thing first. Mm -hmm. But I want to um, wipe away the steam on the mirror and then see if I can open it to get a view of the bathtub. You can ask me to do that. Which I will do. But, yeah, so like, like you know what I mean? So yeah, be like fatal. Like, uh, Wipe yeah. the steam and angle the mirror. All right, I will address the virgin's questions first. Virgin, as you're looking at the brush and the hair wound inside, it is long blonde, blonde hair. It's very straight. There's no curl to it at all. And you imagine the person whose hair this belongs to, her hair must have fallen at least mid-back. It's impressively long. It's something you've never really had the luxury of growing your hair out that far what with all of the work that you've been doing and twigs and chicken's propensity to fling refuse and whatnot. And you feel like this was her bathroom, the blonde woman. Hmm. And you feel like she wasn't a servant. This is too fine a place for someone who scrubs dishes or cleans floors or serves food. She must have been a lady of some importance, some importance to Bluebeard at some point. Fatal, as you go to scrub the mirror clean, the mist has condensed enough that it's clinging and you can see written on the mirror are the words, watch me now. Well, that's not Do good. you continue with wiping the mirror away and opening it? Watch through the mirror. Yeah, I'm going to watch through the mirror. Play your character like a stolen car. I'm going to watch through the mirror. You take a moment, poised in front of the vanity, and the steam grows heavier around you. You stare into the mirror, and you see yourself staring back. And you hear water running to the side, near the clawfoot tub the sound of splashing water, it changes its quality as if the water that the stream is plunging into is growing deeper. And then you hear the swish of something moving in it. It's just out of sight of the mirror. If you opened it and angled it, you could see. Yeah. But are you sure you want to? What do you do? I'm going to open it and angle it. You reach underneath and you pull the mirror open. It moves surprisingly easy for how heavy it is. It's on some sort of hinged mechanism and you angle that mirror toward the tub and there's a woman in it a beautiful woman she's her skin is pale and flawless very similar to the marble and the surroundings there her long blonde hair hangs over the back of the clawfoot tub wet dripping on the tile you hear the splash of her just moving her feet her arms she puts one arm over the tub. She's sitting low in it. You can see her shoulders and her neck. And she turns and she meets your gaze through the mirror. And she says, well, do you want them to keep watching? Or do you want them to stop? I want them to stop. Then you know what you have to do. She stands and you can see 
as the water runs down her body, it's not clear. The water runs clear at first from her shoulders, then pink, then red down her stomach. Her breasts, once full, still slightly pert. The nipples are carved out. There's just gaping wounds where her nipples would once have been. Blood runs down her sternum. She steps out of the tub. Between her legs is a mess of gore and red meat. And she begins to walk to you. Okay. Take one trauma. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Ask her who she is. What did you say, Jess? I said, ask her who she is. Can I, um, can I make a maiden move, uh, to comfort this person? Care for someone? Care for someone. Yes, you can. Which, how do you offer care? That's actually what I was going to do too. Good job, Troy. (laughs) So what, what I, I'm sorry. Oh, it's a ring move that I was looking at. I guess I could still care for them. I was looking at Caressa Horror, but I guess I could also care for someone. Um, ease their suffering. Yeah. Uh, Is she suffering? I don't, I, I'm going to try to... Um, I, I walk up to her as she... You can't walk up uh, to her. You don't have the body. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, Fatal so, can acquiesce if you wish to yeah, go. I, I, yeah, go ahead. You're go for it. Control. You can also Do pass I, the ring if you'd like. Oh, no, I'm going to keep it for now. Okay. So what I would like for the Fatal to do, walk up to her and um, don't address what is going on that's clearly wrong, mm-hmm. but maybe um, brush your hand through like the wet hair that's on her head mm-hmm. and then maybe offer to start combing her hair. Good one. Uh, so yeah, that is, uh, that is exactly what I'll do. So I, um, I try as hard as I can to look right, right in her eyes, right. And just not look down and walk up to her and just shaking hand reaches out and just brushes like the one streak of hair that's hanging across her cheek, back across her face and go, your hair, why don't you, why don't you let me, why don't you let me make that look good for you? If you want them to stop watching. They will never stop if you look good. She pushes, she puts a hand out against your chest, Fatal, and backs you closer to the vanity. She reaches for the Bluebeard's knife and lifts it. It's still open. You hadn't closed the straight razor. What do you do? Uh, yeah, I'm going to dirty myself with violence. No, why would you, <laughs> why, would you why would you hit her? Because she's going to cut my throat, Jess. That's fine. Don't hurt her. So so tell her to stop. Do something else. Grab the blade. Like, don't... You You can try and roll to caress a horror, but I also am not going to stop you. Yeah, I'm I'm not (laughs) going to stop you. Caress a horror on a hit. The roll of horror swayed from your stroke, directed as it was intended for you to another victim in the house. Define another victim in the house, Amber. That's the part I think I don't understand. Oh, I guess... Whereas back that way on the left, just go in there. Yeah, look <laughs> at the butler. Servants and things like that. <laughs> yes, the other victim in the house is usually a servant or another horror that you have seen somewhere nearby. The, ah, the horror dog. you are caressing is the one who will choose um, ultimately, though you may offer a suggestion. The horror that you are caressing also may know of more nearby victims that you do not. Okay. I guess I violence, I was just going to say, I guess violence also does include silencing and disabling them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think Kressahara might be more my style. Uh, and I am actually going to do that. 
so what I'm going to do, what Tao's going to do, uh, first I'm going to hold her hand over the razor. Right? She looks just at you. Stop her from doing what <laughs> she's doing. just kind of snaps as soon as just you're kind of stop her. And then I'm going to say, it's, it's not me. It's not me that's looking. It's the other ones. The servants, the butlers. They're always watching, aren't they? Always. Wanting you look perfect. It's them you want, not me. Go ahead and roll plus blood. I'm a big fan of hiding behind others. That was well done, Fatal. Six. <laughs> a six. That was not as well done, Fatal. That was not as well done. No, actually, no, I'm sorry. A seven. Because I have a plus one blood. Seven. That's still not that great. I mean, that's just enough. No, I get to participate. So now I'm now I'm like, gotta she go color. <laughs> reaches out and she touches your face with her free hand. You can feel her fingers tighten around the blade beneath yours. Even though you're pressing on her hand very hard, you can hear the scrape of her nails on the marble as she just pulls her fingers in despite the fact your hand is over hers so tightly to wrap around the blade. And she says, they're watching you too. There's only one way to make them stop. They're watching so many girls. You're right, you're right. Let's, um, let's stop we should, them. We oh. should help them. Yes. We should make them so no one will look. Okay. <laughs> mm. I'll be right back. Oh, she says, I know who we can help. Who, who? Anytime, you can, you can like, say shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Maud, Maud, I need assistance. This does not Maud? sound good. Now we're outnumbered. In a moment Way later, to go, Fatal. the door Sorry. opens and a girl enters. She's probably a little bit younger than you, which would make her 16, 17, maybe. She's in a servant's uniform, the typical black, the skirt that goes just past the knee, the white apron over it. But her face, the, her eye and her lip, it's scarred pretty terribly. Like something has bitten her or chewed on her. It's old. The wounds are all healed. Her hair is neatly back, but she steps into the room, shuts the door behind her and says, what can I do for you, lady? She says, Maud, take off your clothes. Wilson will never hurt you again. We're going to help. And she just, her hand trails from your face fatal and tightens on the top of your shift. Who's Take Wilson? one trauma. Who's Wilson? Yeah. Ask her who Wilson is. Who's Wilson? He's a beast of a man. Does he have a wolf snout? I'll ask that. He is more wolf than man. Maud begins to dutifully take off her shift, though she looks uncomfortable. Her face is very tight. She's gripping her uniform tightly as she starts to undress. It doesn't matter that they've your face, your your face doesn't matter. It's not what Wilson wants. 
but we can fix that for you. Maude hey, is uh, trembling. Hey, Fatal. Yeah. We are a little. We are a little outnumbered here, and we're backed into a corner. I think we need to. Uh, oh, I think we need to create. Some, I think we need to create some space right now. Space is our uh, is our ally. I think she's got that. a grip on your. She's got a grip on your blouse. We need to. Uh, we need to figure this out. So you're saying escape? Is that what you're saying? I'm. I'm, I'm saying. Just, I'm saying. We if we're going to resort. Maud. No, we got to help Maud. But yeah, we have we... to help Maud. No, so we do. She's it's scared. violence against bathtub lady, I think. Here, here's the thing, right? She, she might we let can... you go, though, if you step away. If it's not violent. If, okay, so it could be violence for sure. Or we could play along. We could take the clothing off and then we could try to get away. Maybe. Yeah, but she's going to like Jack the Ripper Maud here. So yeah, yeah, we don't want that. <clears throat> Fatal, you have the ring. Ah, uh, no, I'm going to give it to mom. <laughs> mom knows what to do in these situations. Mother, you mom are struck again by how young Maud is. She's, she's, she's a woman, but only just. And she's trembling like a little leaf. She's pulled off her maid uniform and she's in just her shift. It clings to her a little awkwardly, her small breasts like your own, her hips are slim, and she reaches to pull her shift over her head. While she is doing that, and hopefully uh, bathtub woman is a little distracted in her enthusiasm for getting to Maud's bits, I am going to dirty myself with violence and um, Go, Mom. grab up something like a lotion bottle or perfume bottle and smash bathtub lady right in the face. Okay. All right. Roll for roll for violence, mother. Animus is like, that's what I would do. That's my mom. Mod's fear and vulnerability has woken the bear. And that's carnality, right? Yes. So let's eight. Go bear. An eight. Yes. Nice. You it is your choice. You do succeed. You grab that heavy perfume bottle, cut crystal. It's got some real weight on it. And you smash it into the side of the of the blonde woman's head. Her head snaps back. But your vulnerability opens you up to trauma or your carelessness leaves you in a bad spot. I think that I will take the trauma of whatever broken broken knuckles or whatever I get from that act. And I yell at Maud to run. All right, and that is exactly what happens. That heavy perfume bottle slammed against your head. It shatters, and the pieces cut into your palm, and your hand goes numb for a moment with the impact, and you take one trauma. You yell at Maud to run. Maud is frozen. She stands absolutely terrified. She punches in on herself almost, clasps her hands over her mouth in shock at what you've just done, and... She backs away from you into the corner, shaking, terrified. The woman from the bathtub kind of falls against the vanity, pieces rain off of it, some more glass pieces break. Her blonde hair spills over the vanity with a splattering of blood. Some of it drips down into the marble sink and she groans 
and then says, I am trying to help you. Mother, what do you do? I am going to... How is the tub? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. The tub is running over. You hear the water begin to splatter on the tile as the clawfoot tub <clears throat> overflows. Remember what I said about drowning in the ocean's depths? <laughs> yes. Um, I think... I will first try to care for someone and try and encourage Maud to leave, that she'll be safer in a different room. Will she? <laughs> yeah, really. Not necessarily, but, you know, I don't no, know any better. True. It's true. <laughs> she lives you, here. She might you know approach the trembling Maud. She's, she's backed into the corner, shaking She's in nothing but her shift, shivering. And what do you say to her? She's looking at you like she is afraid of you, of what you've done. She looks at you, she looks at your hand, the blood dripping from your hands. And she sees the woman collapsed half across the vanity, blonde hair speckled red on the white. She's terrified. What do you say? I'm not the one that's going to hurt you, honey. She was trying to hurt you and I wanted to stop her. You need to put your clothes on and you need to go to someplace safe, all right, sweetheart? Where, where, where is safe, my lady? <sighs> you know this house better than I do. You find someplace, someplace to hide, right? Maybe the fountain outside. Her, her trembling eases a bit and she looks around. She seems overwhelmed. Her garments are kind of piled in the middle of the floor over there and the water is rolling across the floor. It reaches her clothes in the towel you've dropped. The bloodied towel begins to saturate it. Well, I'll grab a dry towel from atop the vanity and nice big fluffy one and wrap her up in it and try and sort of scoot her toward the door. Go on, go on, sweetheart, go and change. I don't, I don't, I don't. What what shall I change to? Tell her, Into tell her tell her to go to our room and take one of our dresses. Yes. Go to my bedroom and take some garment that I have and put it on. Something simple. Leave a trail of breadcrumbs so we can find it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> tell us where our room is. She she nods, sniffling, but you're your tenderness seems to have moved her and she she opens the door and uh, quickly slips out holding her saturated clothing in one hand and the towel pressed tight to her chest in the other. She just squeezes through so as no one can see into the state that you're in. And you realize you yourself are quite compromised and shuts the door. The water laps around your ankles. I am Swirls going of blood, to... Bits of glass floating in it going to propose a truce. I'm going what to take truth, a mother? shard of glass as my token. And I feel that this woman was somebody who was important to Bluebeard. I don't know who, but he failed to protect her. Which and she felt so threatened that she mutilated herself to try and protect herself. He failed her. 
in whatever capacity he was to her, he failed her. And there's a token of disloyalty. How do people feel? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. The fatale is like, uh, yeah, this is, there are other things in here, like that freaking dog thing. And that it's not safe here. It is not safe here at all. Did she ever, did she ever mention, I had to walk away for a second, but did she ever mention Bluebeard? No. No. Just they. Always watching. Do we know that she lives here? We certainly got the impression this was her bathroom. We definitely Mm -hmm. thought that. That's true. That's true. So whoever they were, he didn't protect her. I I would like to pose the possibility that the last room that we came from was comprised of trophies of near perfect specimens, um, animals that exemplified grace and beauty, but also animals that exemplified uh, strength and ferocity. Mm-hmm. And those trophies were pristine, as the feather that we're holding on our person indicates. Uh, this woman was very much not so. She was damaged goods. And because of that, she lost that um, worth to perhaps Bluebeard. And as long as we can maintain that pristine um, nature and condition, then we too will maintain our worth. And I think it's past time that we put our hair up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. I'm still sticking with mistrust i'm going with disloyalty yeah. i i agree with mother i agree with mother for once okay for once sorry mom it's a piece of that heavy crystal perfume bottle that you had struck the blonde woman with and as you hold it in your hand the steam that had gathered quite thick around you begins to ebb the sound of falling water subsides and you're standing barefoot on cool, dry tile in your shift. Your dry but bloodied clothes lie where you had left them. You look around and all of the room is in order again, just as you had left it, save for the words, watch me now, clinging to the mirror. I am going to not worry about my hair right now. I want to find my room and change and I can clean up more in here. I dealt with the messiest things already. So I'm going to go to my room where I can take the time to get tidy. So if you really loved us, you would love us as we are. Exactly. Are we still hungry, by the way? You are. There's a, there's a gnawing in your stomach. And in fact, as you, whichever the opportunist, you do smell the delicious bread smell. You're quite certain it is bread. Um, something bread savory and sweet bread. in the air as well as you exit the bathroom. But mother, you are in control of the body. And if you are looking for a bedroom. Yes. going to continue to look for a bedroom because we're such a wreck now. We're half naked and hair is a mess and all of that. And so there is a <laughs> You remember <mess>. that <laughs> the butler had originally told you it was the largest store. And as you go further down the hallway, you do see one that seems to be broader. Is it double doors? He said largest double doors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Broadest double, door. okay. double doors. They are carved wood. There's a beautiful 
kind of arching frame around them. And I, mother, describe the key. Could, could I quickly, I'm sorry, could I quickly interject and ask if in the hallway, do we see wet footprints that may indicate what room Maud went into? You do not. The hallway is clean and dry. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> Foiled again. And you notice yet again that light streaming through the rose window. It must be dusk. The sun has set. There's very little light coming through it. It is not full night or full moonrise yet, but it is very near and you can faintly hear crickets. Hmm. You've been in there longer than we thought. Mm -hmm. I think so. The key is a very simple key, almost a caricature of a key with just a couple of teeth, but it looks like it's carved of a single piece of ruby and there's some deep red glow within it. Ooh. Take your very smooth and unembellished but richly colored key, slide it into the lock. The tumbler turns, the door opens and you step inside to a lavish bedroom with the centerpiece definitely being the absolutely massive carved wooden four-poster bed. It's a rich, rich dark wood with slightly reddish tint to it. And it is enclosed completely in gauzy red silks. Mm. There are cattails and willow branches kind of woven around the top of the frame and set in vases here and there about the room. And two massive armors, that same rich wood with just that slight reddish undertone set on opposite ends of the wall. At the far end to your left, there's a little sitting nook with a divan by the window. What do you do? What is, can I ask what a divan is? It's like a chaise almost kind of. Okay. Like a day bed. Yeah, you can, you can sit like in it, but you can also lay in it. <laughs> gotcha. And it's gotcha. more of a petite piece of furniture. Gotcha. Going to look around for <clears throat> our clothes. Look around and you do see your bags have been brought in. our bedroom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you have found the room that your bags were brought to, for sure. Your bags have been set in front of one of the armors. They do not appear to have been gone through. They're stacked neatly next to each other. Okay, I'm going to go and change into something clean and dry. Oh, mother, see if there are new clothes here for us, too. I will. As soon as I am dressed, I will then open the armoire and see what we've got. If anything, mother, what clean and dry outfit do you select from your old clothes and your old life? I'm going to select uh, my Sunday best. Uh, it's a plain blue dress, but it's fairly new, and uh, I've been told it's becoming on me. Okay. Oh, this old thing. Very nice. <laughs> I think it's lovely. Brand new fatal. Mother made it for Probably us. New clothes around here somewhere. Fatal, I'm going to look in the armoire. Funny, Fatal should mention because as you open the armoire, you are greeted by an assortment of clothes in all kinds of silks and patterns and colors. Colors you've never seen outside of perhaps certain rare wildflowers that you've always treasured. You didn't know that things could be made to be these blues and purples and yellows and reds. Oh, mother, pick one, pick one. Why I like what we have now. Fatal, we're bleeding. Do you really want to get period blood on one of these nice new dresses? Oh, what difference does it make? He's rich, he'll just get us another one. Also, Fatal, if you're that good, you can make anything work. Finally, you're starting to learn. 
excuse me, I'm always paying attention. No, look at some, is there any black clothing? There is, there's a couple black gowns. One of them is more simple. It's made out of a very, very soft material, but it is not a silk, um, tightly woven, fairly simple. There's some decoration and embroidery around the neck. There's another piece that is, looks to be quite slinky. It's shimmering with little sequins. It glitters all over, almost like the sky or a piece of cut sandstone, some kind of rock that has flicks, flecks of metal in it. If you I insist on simple one. Your, oh no, I do like glitter. Your, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, if you insist on keeping your hair down, not something that accentuates your neckline. Take a simple <laughs> one because we are on our period. So this one, if we get a stain on it, it's dark. So it won't show that much. And it's also not as fancy as some of the others. So it's a sensible thing to wear this time. Of year. <laughs> but it's I'm still good. nicer than what we already had. So always one for traditions and sensibility, mother. Of course. Quickly change into the new garment. And as you're undressing out of your blue, uh, the blue dress that your mother had made you, brand new Sunday best, you hear a giggle. A giggle? Someone's laughing and it's coming from the bed. Ooh. Like under the bed or from the bed? From the bed. The entire bed is enclosed in those gauzy red silks. And look, look, go look. Let's go look. And remember, one of the maiden moves is investigate an object. You can all look. Before we look, can we ask who's there? You guys are always jumping headfirst. I say, let's look. The virgin wants to see the world. (laughs) I'm supposed to manipulate you, not them. God. I will, let's see, let's investigate the bed. Um, what about this is odd or uncanny? It's giggling. Yeah, so yeah. Like a couple hesitant steps toward the bed, but do keep I some distance. That isn't giggling. And you can see now that there is a shape behind that gauzy curtain moving. <laughs> it's a person shape, probably a woman. It seems slender. It's hard to make out any detail. It's just a silhouette, but it's someone reclining and you see the shape of a long leg rising up out of the bed and then the graceful swoop of an arm and another giggle. And what memories does this hold? This is quite a large bed. You can't imagine anybody, any one man would have need of such a thing other than to make a statement or perhaps to entertain. And we have lots of trophies. That Lots of trophies in the other room and the deep carnal red of the silks lead you to believe that this is something meant to be seen and experienced. Okay. Am I still not dressed? You are just in your under things. I'm going to pull that dress on a little roughly and quickly. Um, Not fasten it up, but just at least feel a little armored. No, no. Leave it off. Come join me. Oh, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. He sounds fun. Give the ring back to Christian. (laughs) He sounds fun. Oh, don't give it to Jess. She's just going to going to. You must be the new girl here. Come join me. Let's chat. Pass the ring to the virgin. You're passing the ring to me, virgin. Mm. 
Oh no! You have your ring. You are once again into trauma. Do you think she's nice? Talk to her. You're good at making friends. I do like friends. This is true. Okay. All right. Oh no! I didn't. Oh no! Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, we need information. This might be an opportunity to find out more. uh, I want to climb into the bed. Virgin, you approach the bed. Perhaps this is like a sleepover. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you push the, the gauzy red curtain aside and there is a woman lying in the bed. Hello. She is stunning. She has curly auburn hair, rosy flush to her cheeks. Her skin is lightly tanned and her eyes are this deep emerald green, almost cat-like. And it matches the coy little curve to her full lips. And she is quite naked. Oh, oh, it's a little shocking to see at first. Actually, you weren't expecting just everything there on display: her full breasts, her peaked nipples, the swell of her hips. She's a voluptuous woman, and she is smiling at you, extending her hand, saying, "Come and play." Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Is it okay that we're here? Well, of course, silly. What else are beds for? Oh, okay. I, I still climb onto the bed. Um, I asked you climb onto the bed and the mattress feels a little odd. It's not as fluffy and downy as you would expect. It's a little firmer and there's a smell like sweet grass at first almost. Hmm. Do you live here? She gets to her knees, legs pressed together almost in a mockery of modesty and scoots a little closer to you looking eager. And she says, I never leave. You never leave. Why don't you leave? Well, because what more could anybody want? There's all the fun in the world. And oh, look at you. She reaches out and she she sets her hand on your cheek and she says, you're just the sweetest thing, aren't you? Maybe. <laughs> and you do love your new husband. I do. Your heart is so full of love. How long have you been here? Don't worry about time. Love takes its time. We have all the time we need. You do want to learn to please your new husband. I can teach you. Please him? (laughs) I'm sure you've noticed he's quite a fine man of refined tastes in many travels. He has standards. I feel a little bit out of my depth, so I'm going to pass it to the fatal. (laughs) Is this this shiver in fear, or are you just passing the ring? It should be shiver in fear. I shiver in fear. It's literally the fucking opposite of what you embody. It should be shiver in fear. That's completely up to you, but take a look at both both moves and take a minute to decide. Damn. Uh, shiver and fear. I will do that. In. Hell Describe yeah. to me what you fear most is about to happen. Um, the thing I fear most is not being good enough or capable of or not knowing as much as she knows and not being able to learn as much. Yeah, you are absolutely right. This girl, her ease, her confidence, the way she's laying here, she has so much more experience than you. 
She's not ashamed or frightened. She knows exactly what to do. And looking into her emerald green eyes, that cat-like playfulness, you know that she knows your husband better than you do somehow. And you're pretty sure that though you may have the novelty of being new, he's going to go back to her. He will one day tire of you, even if you join this woman, try to learn from her. How could you possibly compare? How could you possibly keep up? How could any one woman keep up? Pass the ring to you, Fatal. Thanks. And you do have to choose when you shiver from fear. Um, one of the three following at the bottom. Uh, my thing just died. Can you read them to me quickly? They are. It infects the bride with its perversion. It has the bride in its clutches right now, or it speaks to you and you take one trauma. Just you, sister. The second one, it has you in its clutches. All right. That's awesome. You, you go to pass the, bra- the ring to the fatal. Really awesome. She leans forward, grasps your cheeks between her hands and presses her mouth to your lips. First, she's so warm, so luscious. She tastes a little bit sweet, like some sort of pastry or fine treat. And she leans over you, pressing you down into the mattress. Her lips part, and then her breath falls upon your face. And where it was once sweet, you smell earth, deep, raw earth, and the scent of something fouler underneath it. Your heart starts to pound. Something feels wrong. She was warm and soft and she's getting colder, harder. Her hands are holding your arms quite tight. Fatal, what do you do? Thanks so much for this, Jess. Um, I'm sorry, Fatal. I don't okay. I don't I don't okay. know what to do. Yeah, okay. Uh I'm going to shit. Go to your happy place. <laughs> yeah, basically, right? No, I'm serious, right? Think about your wedding the last night that you remember before you fell asleep. Think about Farmer, what was it? Farmer Willie's fiddle. Farmer Whalen. Um, <laughs> Farmer, Farmer Willie Whalen. Sorry, Farmer Whalen's fiddle. Think about the dancing. Think about your community. Think about things that make you feel safe. Right out the storm. And caress a horror. Yeah, I'm caressing a horror. You have to. It's the only thing caress you can do. Caress a horror. Yep. I mean... Fatal, describe your caress. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to do exactly what the witch just said, uh, which is to, to, you know, go to my happy place uh, and try to um, try to give her what she wants, because that's probably the only way I'm getting out of this. Okay, Fatal. You close your eyes and you think back to some of your favorite things in the town, that sense of community, that neighbor boy who was not very exciting, but did feel quite safe and had a rather nice smile. And you feel her lips move from yours to your neck. She's ice cold now. And that smell of earth and rot is getting stronger on you. Her cold lips almost leave, feels like a film or a trail on your neck, but you're thinking of apples as she kisses down your body. She grows heavier on top of you, so heavy. How could a small girl be so heavy? But you remember your father teaching you how to tie a fishing hook on a line 
and you remember running barefoot through the streets with the neighborhood kids when you were quite too old to be getting away with that, but it was thrilling and you were fast. Fatal, take two trauma. Should I roll two to caress the horror? Uh, if you want to caress the horror, you can roll, but you do have to attempt to sway her attention to someone else. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take the trauma. That's fine. I'm not gonna do that. I, can I use my move on this one, Groundskeeper? You can, Animus. Go ahead and use your face move, the shield. What's wrong, Animus? Tell the Fatale how this is her fault. Oh, sorry, sorry, Christian. Yeah, it's okay. I, I like how I whispered in your ear, and you're yeah. like, "That sounds great." <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Fuck you, witch. You. <laughs> that was incredible, by the way, Amber. That was really good. Yeah, I'm this is. Don't want to interrupt the flow. Oh, no, holy shit! Is, was yeah, holy shit is right. That's really good. That almost got you me. You have to learn how to stand up for yourself. If someone is doing something that you do not want, it does not matter what you have to do. You have to let them know you are unhappy. This is happening because you were weak and you let someone in and you didn't have the strength to push them away. Please, for all of us in the future, push them away. You can't be weak like this anymore. I just, I, I don't, I don't always know how to. Yes, you I do. I don't know how to be strong like you. Yes, you do, Fatal. You know how to do this. You take control all the time. I just act like I do. I don't really know what I'm doing. Sometimes that's all you have to do. Fatal, the animus has told you this is your fault because you never express your true desires and you don't push people away or tell people when you want it to stop. Do you believe her that this is your fault because you didn't say no hard enough? Yeah. Animus. You may. Okay. Uh, Fatal, you only take one trauma. That's good. Because, uh, I'm pretty <laughs> As the animus helps you rationalize what has happened. You're deep in your happy place now with a few thoughts of how you perhaps had this coming and the weight slowly dissipates, but that smell of rot and decay and the slick feeling of grease remains clinging to your skin. You still have the ring. What do you do? I'm giving it back to the virgin. Back to me. Yep. You did virgin. the dirty work. You yeah. have the ring. You're lying on this bed. Still unscathed. That greasy feeling, mm. that smell of earth clinging to you, that stench of decay. It's a foul taste in your mouth almost now. You can still taste it clinging to your lips. Thank you for talking. Your eyes are still pressed tightly shut. I open them. You 
open your eyes. I look around. The woman is still there, but she's not the woman you've seen. She's backed away toward the foot of the bed, and she's sitting with her legs open, looking at you, arms still extended, inviting, but her face is no longer smiling. Her face is withered. Her hair is stark white, dry, brittle. Her flesh is aged and sagged, covered in liver spots. Her breasts hang low. Her knees are knobby. Her belly swollen, a little pot belly sunken low, but her ribs still stretch across her rib cage. And she says, what's wrong? Don't you want to please your husband? Not like this. Isn't there something else that I can do? There is. You can make, you can make penance. If you're going to insist on being stubborn. Make penance? How? She gets up. The bed, again, doesn't shift like you think it would. It feels quite firm right now, almost like gravel or rocks. And she reaches above her head toward the the bed frame on the four posters and pulls down one of the reeds. Not a willow reed like many of them up there, not a cattail. This one has thorns and she flexes the switch in her hands. I can help you learn to be better. How? Roll over. I'm gonna take some... Can I investigate the uh, wreath that she's holding? Mm. Yes, you can. Made a move, pick two. Who does this object belong to? You look around and you see the many reeds and cattails kind of woven into the bed frame above and you Remember the ones in the vases on the other side. And this one is quite different. This one is a switch. It is not a willow reed. It is not decorative. It is knobby and it has thorns. And it's quite sturdy despite its flex in her hand. And you can imagine where it was positioned on the bed. It must be for discipline. And in this bedroom, Aside from yourself, who is his new bride and lady of the house, there is only one master of this house who would keep personal belongings here. Hmm. I've discerned what the object was used for in the past. And I believe that nothing is certain, especially not the future. So what I want to know now is Bluebeard, who's probably the owner or user of this object, is he able to change? And if so, why does he keep this item? You've only been in his home a short time, but you've encountered conflicting things. You remember his kind smile, how he picked up that plate and told you everybody drops things, the fresh cut wildflowers he brought you, the care he showed your family. 
And you wonder if he can change from someone who would be a disobedient wife with a switch, wouldn't he be changing into who you met? And if that change had already occurred in the past, why would he still have such a terrible object? I would pose this idea to the virgin. And I would say, he helped you carry out your duties, carrying the apples. Perhaps you help him carry out his duties of instilling obedience and discipline. Maybe you grab the whip. And give obedience to who? The woman at the foot of the bed. This is your husband. This is your bedroom. This is your home. Put her in her place. Lest you be spoiled. Hmm. I'm going to listen to the witch and demand, maybe, uh, I'm going to demand that she hands the reed to me as the lady of the house, as Bluebeard's bride. He entrusted this house and all of the people and all of the things to me, and that as well as mine. All right. This is a dirty yourself with violence move. Mm. You are choosing to silence her in some way and take control. Okay. You can make a roll plus carnality. Remind me again what I'm rolling. You are rolling 2d6 and you are adding your carnality rating. Okay. I got a five. You stand I on this very firm bed. I'm the virgin, bro. Wear your shoulders. No, I tried to manipulate you. And demand uh, in your most trembling voice that this woman turn the switch over to you, that this is your home and he is your husband and she has no place here. And she laughs. She laughs in your face, walks forward, grabs your hair in a iron leg grip and says, you insolent girl, I will make a bride out of you yet. And she cracks you with that thorned switch right across your thigh at first. It burns as it tears your flesh. Blood whips across the red sheets, disappearing into the carmine color. Virgin, take two trauma. I am going to use my face move. Mother. And Virgin, you are so bad at standing up for yourself. Fucking agreed. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Well, I know you did, which is why I forgive you. And you get to take away two trauma, and I take a trauma. Ooh, nice. I think Hell yeah, I'm, also, I'm also going to use my face move. Uh, and I am going to take an additional trauma. I now have four guys. Uh, but I'm the mistress, and I'm mistress. in charge. Bitch. You take the ring. I'm gonna take the ring. I just yeah, take yeah. it, and you whip. She she whips the bride. She's bleeding. She says, "I'm gonna make a bride out of you yet," and I'm gonna look right at her bleeding. I'm gonna say, "No, bitch, I'm in charge," and I'm gonna take the switch from her. I'm dirtying myself with violence. All right, roll carnality. Oh God! Don't roll it too. I rolled a three. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Roll the three. Fuck you, nice. Okay. <laughs> Bye, oh, Chris. Shit. It was nice knowing you. Oh, I'm broken, guys. You. 
I listened to the animus and stood up for myself. It didn't work out. I'm going to use my face move again. Mother is taking the trauma. Mother, forgive the fatal for whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> you tell her what it was and oh. why you forgive her. Oh, fatal, you just rush into these things and you think you can do just about anything, but you are not animus. And you just don't have the capacity to do this sort of thing. You're just pretty. But that's all right. I love you anyway for yourself. Pretty. I forgive you for lacking anything but pretty. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> so what is it? I lose two? Yeah, you lose, I think. I'm one for two that you yeah, you, you So, Fatal, you were about to take two trauma. Uh, what happens is you reach for the switch. You've squared up. You're standing strong. Stance much firmer than the Virgin's voice much firmer. <laughs> But when you reach for that switch, you catch the switch and she rips it through your hand. It cuts your flesh to the bone. And she goes to shove you down onto your back, but mother keeps you strong. So she has healed you too. You take two more from the event. So <laughs> you are still tally so, your... so I'm even, is yeah, what you're saying. You're even. Yeah. Okay. She just healed you too. And you just received two okay. more. She. Okay shoves you down and you land on the hard mattress. It knocks the breath out of you. It is packed earth underneath that fine, fine bed. And this withered crone stands before you holding the bloodied switch. And she says, I've had about enough of you. This will never stand when your husband gets back. You better roll onto your stomach, girl. Show me your backside because what I give you will be far kinder than what Bluebeard will when he discovers what you really are. This is your second chance, Fatal. I'm going to say, no, bitch. I told you I'm in charge, and I'm going to kick her in the knee, and again, I'm rolling wait, again. Fuck whoa, it. I'm whoa, whoa, broken you, car. Whoa. No, wait, wait, I'm in wait, charge. Wait, What? Uh, whoa. Sisters? <laughs> They're like, no, no, no. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> whoa. I, I just, I just, she, she jumped to a big, she jumped to a huge... Um, assumption, which is that if Bluebeard were here, he would be supportive of her. From what I understand, Bluebeard likes his trophies unspoiled. He would not fucking put up with this. The, your only hope of salvation is if Bluebeard were here right now. He would not fucking stay. He would not allow this to happen to you. This old crone means nothing to him. This fucking, this bitch in your bed means nothing to him. How do you know he, that? He's, not a he's kept yeah, her I'm, here. He's why kept is she her here. here? She's clearly new, something valuable shiny. to him. You're new, you're shiny. No, you no. have something that appeals to him that she but, can never have again. But he still kept her here. And I don't think we should injure her either, though. He, if she's just doing this, she's doing this because he wants her to. We don't know that. We don't know we that don't. for sure. We don't. Did he want the wolf man in the trophy room to maul you? Did I he mean, want this other estranged woman in the bathroom to try to mutilate your body? I mean, there was. These are some huge assumptions. This isn't right. If Bluebeard were here, he would be on your side. That's all I'm saying. You fucking bury this woman. With that thought. Hold on. Let me look at my, uh, my moves here. Hold on a minute. <sighs> I think we should just get away from her, subdue her somehow. I don't think we need to hit her. 
Call no, for help. Okay, maybe, one of, maybe one of the other servants in here will be more Cry for help. And uh, maybe one of the other servants in here will be more rational and will side with you because my logic is sound. Animus, what do you think? You're the you're the logic person. Even even if she is right, even if the appeal that we have will fade over time, you know what we have right now? We have that appeal. We are that new toy. That didn't work. We need to the use that to though. our advantage. I tried that though, the witch. It didn't work when I tried it. Can I because use a maybe move? Yes, you can. I want to care for someone. God right. damn it, that's opposite. Okay. No, and here's here's my Animus, logic. Offer offer her care. So which you said I was the logic one. Here is my logic. I I'll kind of just look at her, say, you and I are very similar. Who are you looking at? She, I'm looking at the woman. Wait, I'll give her the ring. The ring no, I'll yes. give her the ring. Yeah, I'll give her the ring. Passing no, Je does Jess yeah. have the ring? No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I, have ring. I have the ring. Yeah. Patel, Patel took it from me. Yeah. Uh, care yeah. for someone is a maiden move. It's also yeah. a maiden move, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but someone, I'm going to give this one to you, Adam. You go. Oh, you go. Good yeah. Patel is like, I am almost dead. So she'll say, um, you and I are very similar. We are both in a strange place that, and I know, you know more about this place than I do. And I understand that, but that's why I think we need to work together instead of facing against each other. I don't know everything that Bluebeard likes. You're right, I'm new, I'm inexperienced. Tell me, <coughs> you can talk. You're hurting too. We can work through this together. Her chest, rising and falling heavy with rage and indignation, slows a little bit. Her breathing becomes irregular. She takes a step back and leans against the post still gripping the bloodied switch tightly, but steadying herself. And she says, the emotion welling in those eyes, those eyes still beautiful, cat green, bright, vibrant, in that withered, ruined face. And she says, we are not alike, but we will be. Nobody listens to me. <laughs> All right, no. roll over. Keith, no. you want to work together? Then you will let me train you so like that he won't have to. Animus, tell him, tell her that we'll find our own way. What other wreaths are above the bed? It's just woven cattails and willow branches, save for that one thorny switch that she had grabbed. This is for your own good. I'd like to she steps forward. Truth. Animus, what is your truth? The longer we have been here and the more terrified women we see, this is now our third, two of which have already gone through hell, one of which, Maud, is willing to put herself through hell. I propose that 
we have entered into a place where women are gone through like napkins. And as soon as they are used, they are disposed of or worse, left on the floor to rot and be eaten by the mice. She wasn't disposed of. She was kept. She was left here. She was abandoned. All of these women were given a purpose, though. That is not the life to lead. I mean, did you have a purpose on the farm? Yes, we had many purposes on the farm. We were there to keep our families fed, to take care of our community and our younger siblings. We were a third parent when our mother and father were away. And I don't know if, you know, cutting off people's nipples is really a purpose as such. I thought she did that to herself. Yes, but she was going to do it to Maud. Hmm. So to say that these women have a purpose is a bit extreme. I don't think she was kept here, though. Was she? The only thing I would pose as an objection to your thought process, Animus, I look down at my torn, ripped open thigh. I touch my brow drenched in sweat. This new dress that we've spoiled Our hair is a mess. We're exhausted. We're afraid. How are we holding up right now without help? How are we holding up by ourselves? That's the only thing I'm going to say to you. I mean, what do you mean? I I don't understand. We're not holding up well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As in, in we need some help. And who is the head of this household? Who's the head of this household? Who does every person here answer to? But he's not here. I know I'm, I'm saying without him, like we don't stand a chance right now. But this is, this is also his house. Like he's not always going to be here. Also it's his house and that must say something about him. Mother's right again. Mm-hmm. Home is a reflection of the homekeeper. Let's see if we can survive till he gets back. All right, Animus, your final truth. I mean, everything that that I have argued and that mother has said, this is, there was no purpose to this. This was senseless violence against these women. Used up and discarded. Yeah. And abandoned. I am convinced that this woman was just abandoned here. Right. Animus, um, choose your token. And I'm assuming disloyalty from your truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I take the switch. You step we forward. Have about a two, two disloyalty, the switch one goes easily from her hands. You grab the thorny spiked part and you take it. Your hands don't shake. You stare into those woman's eyes, still beautiful eyes, cut glass emeralds. And her skin sags lower and lower and lower. And she sags with it going to her knees down, down, down into that hard earthen mattress until there's nothing left of her at all. And you are standing alone on a soft red silken bed. I finished getting dressed. The whole wardrobe is at your disposal as well as 
the remnants of your former life. Maybe we should put our blue dress back on. I listened to mother and put the blue dress on. Oh, I put like the, the blue, blue dress, dress back on. It doesn't give you nearly as much trouble as your wedding gown. It's a dress you've laced <clears throat> before yourself and you settle it firmly into place. You did good, Animus. You got us out of there. Thank you, Animus. I'm sorry I was so dumb. You're not dumb. Yes, I am. You're not dumb. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I tell. You're pretty. You're Very up. pretty. Which? <laughs> where do we? Well, we know where our bedroom is now. We can get sleep when we so choose. We are very hungry. Are we going to go to bed on an empty stomach, or should we find a place to get some food? No, you're right. <laughs> I I did smell that bread earlier. It's we pretty good. Try and get something to eat, and then and something sweet. Then we can rest. And we can rest. So we need to find the kitchen, I suppose. To be fair, we know where that is, right? Does that, that still constitute a room we have to open? Well, the foyer was where we smelled the bread. That's where no, you but- smelled the bread, but you've smelled it upstairs as well. You haven't seen <laughs> the kitchen. Um, you do know just from common sense that most things like kitchens and like are on the first floor. entertaining rooms, dining rooms are on the first floor. First floor. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I'll, I'll kind of go downstairs and follow where we had smelled the, the bread before. Hey, the, the witch is quite a, uh, she follows her senses. Should the witch have the ring? <laughs> yes. Troy hasn't had oh, the ring. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Animus, also Animus has you it. have the control. Animus is I can't, gonna... I can't take it from you. No. She's going to give it to you. She's going to take the back seat for a minute. The witch is the hungriest. <laughs> <laughs> She's is a little tired. It's true. Hunger. Animus has been saving our asses recently. Animus and mom. Yeah. Coming yeah, in, I know. Coming, coming in clutch. clutch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to. You have the ring. You enter the hall. I... That delicious smell of baked bread. And now you can smell like savory, like meats too in the air it smells absolutely delicious spices garlic things that you can't even name you can only imagine how they must taste and also underneath it all that musky scent of wet dog Mm. tickles the back of your throat we definitely don't want that uh the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to close my eyes i'm going to take a deep breath i'm going to count to three i'm going to exhale and then with renewed determination, I will open my eyes and I will tie up my fucking hair. <laughs> and then I will advance towards the smell. As you take your moment to center yourself, counting, deep breath, you raise your hands to your hair and begin to gather it. And you feel just a hot, wet burst of breath on the back of your neck for a moment. And you can hear just the tongue moving in a mouth. Your neck prickles and the sensation passes after a moment, but you feel watched. Take stock. I pull out the feather from my belongings and I say, there are many trophies in Bluebeard's trophy room, but there's always room for one more dog 
and I continue to walk down the hallway. Ooh. All right. I'll let you Okay, the witch is a badass. You head yeah. down the hall, descend the stairs, again, savoring that smooth feel of that polished banister on your way down. And you follow your nose. First floor, you peek in a couple open doorways. There's a few rooms that are not rooms, sitting rooms, drawing rooms, places to entertain. And you come to a set of broad double doors again, very broad. They have the um, like plates on them, protective plates through which carts could be pushed. Mm-hmm. Describe the key. It is a key that is made of pewter, similar to um, silverware. And it says kitchen on it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, Witch, being clever. That door. (laughs) And it's going to be a kitchen or maybe not. It's pewter-esque oriented. Witch, you slide the key into the lock, turn the tumbler, and enter the room. What you found is not a kitchen, though it's definitely attached to one. It is a dining room. Okay. There is a long, 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 long banquet table stretched out before with a white tablecloth. The room is kind of cold for an entertaining room, but that must be because of the huge vaulted ceilings and the wall of windows, floor to ceiling windows with just steely gray curtains. And the on the table, the table is being set by a host of servants their eyes down, aprons tied tight, hair pinned back, and they're bussing out plates and platters and things of food. Um, there are beautiful candelabras set on the table, and there's shining silvery pitchers set at either end. There is beautifully cut crystalware, silverware laid out, fine china, and at the opposite end of the table is a lovely young woman. She is seated at the head. Her shoulders are squared. Her chin is high. She is the picture of poise. And she looks at you as you enter and she says, please have a seat. I take a moment and I look around the room briefly. Is there a uh, chair at the other head of the table? There is. I will high backed. And Elliot. I will grab one of the butlers or servants that are in the room, and I will ask them to ready uh, a hearty plate at this head of the table for my husband, as he will be back soon. And I will sit immediately to the right of that chair. The servant gives you a little, a little bow and says, "Yes, ma'am." And hurries off to one of the uh, carts that contains silverware and starts setting the place at the head of the table. Very um, nice switch. Just precise movements, mechanical, methodical movements, movements this person has done a million times in their life. And once they have set the head of the table, they begin to set your place beside it. We're going to get that drink, Fatal. <clears throat> Good. I know you're almost dead. It's fine. All of the place settings are laid out, starting at the head that you had directed, then your own, and then all the way across the table and wrapped around. Place settings for 
it must be 30 people, like a massive amount of people could dine at this table. And the dining room is much larger. Other tables could be, be brought in. This place could easily seat 500. It's incredible. The first thing that I think of is that there is plenty of room for our family to visit. Could house even your whole village. Once the place settings are laid out, they begin to bring in carts of food and they start laying out platters and roasts and baskets full of baked breads and, and pastries and sweets. There is wine on the table as well as water in those elegant silver pitchers. And they start serving food onto the plates, starting at the head of the table, skipping yours, and then at the next plate and the next and the next, working their way down, leaving your plate bare. I think to myself what Bluebeard said to me, everybody makes mistakes. And I remain quiet and wait for all of the other, uh, all of the other seats to be served. What a waste of food if it's just- They go down serving and serving. They skip the poised woman at the other end of the table, leaving her plate bare as well, and continue to fill plates all the way back until every setting at this massive table has food except for you and the woman at the end of the table. Well, I wonder if it's a waste. I wonder who else is going to eat here. Three strikes and you're out, but two, well, we'll work with that. I, uh, I asked the woman at the end of the table, I say, um, uh, looks like a very fancy meal tonight that we'll be enjoying. And I kind of look down at my empty plate and I say, what's your name? I'm Genevieve. And it is quite a delight to all of our guests and husband to be able to show such hospitality. And she reaches for the silver pitcher and she pours water into her soup bowl. I will nod to her. I will introduce myself as Bluebeard's new bride and I will pour wine into my soup bowl. Mm, which you should do the same. I did, just wine instead of water. There's wow. calories in wine. Wow. She hesitates. She holds your gaze. Her face gets a little more drawn. Her lips thin a little, perhaps in disappointment, and she sets her picture down. The servants, who are now standing against the wall, quietly waiting to attend to anyone's needs, um, they their eyes go kind of wide. They look surprised, shocked disgusted which what do you do and all these scents make your stomach rumble you are hungry i you know i might be a simple simple woman from a simple family but i imagine we were taught manners right the animals ate before we did we had to make sure all of our chores were done before we had our food for the evening i think right now what i do is i um I look out, uh, you said this room was completely surrounded in windows. Yes, one of the long walls um, lengthwise to the table is all floor to ceiling windows with rounded tops. And you can see the sky is just alight with stars. It is a beautiful, clear night. The moon is shining full. And below that, somewhere out there are rolling gardens. I, um, 
I look out um, the window and I imagine it's, it's dark. You said there were stars in the sky. And I say, um, how long before you think Bluebeard comes back uh, to the woman that's at the other end of the table? And I take a sip from the bowl. Oh, I'm sure he will be back quite soon. He is not a neglectful man of his duties or his belongings. He's just very important and he has many businesses to attend to. I'm sure he will attend to you upon his return. And she takes a soup spoon and very elegantly scoops a mouthful of water and takes a sip. And what business endeavor do you represent of Bluebeard's? Why, I'm his wife. My eyes narrow just a little bit. No I need like for that, dress. you. Thank you. She stands. And as soon as she stands and you can kind of see the rest of her, you see that, that beautiful pressed dress in the embroidery, um, it pinches in sharply below her breasts. Her waist is impossibly thin. It is so narrow. You can't even believe it. She is skeletally thin. And there's little blotches of blood spotting through along her ribs and that tiny, tiny pinched waist. She says, I think we will get along quite well. You are, you're clearly from a simpler life where they had different expectations, but I can see that you are intelligent and you will learn. I uh, look about at the servants and I see if their demeanor has changed. And I take another sip from the bowl of wine. The servants are looking down at their shoes. All of them silently, hands, cl hands clasped in front. Which can you ask her how many wives Bluebeard has? Hmm. If it comes up, maybe. I don't know if the witch wants to know that. Um, can I use a maiden move? Yes, Animus. Um, I would like to take stock of the situation. Mm -hmm. stock. And see what does this place demand of the bride? Mm -hmm. Animus, you're looking around at this this bizarre function, this bizarre ritual that's playing out before you. And unlike the witch who has shown some benefit of the doubt toward the servants here, you are quite certain that not serving you and not serving the other wife of Bluebeard at this table was quite intentional. And you recall the shock, dismay, and disgust on the servants' faces when the witch partook of wine. And you're looking again at how poised, how put together, how perfect Genevieve's hair is, how lovely she is, the graceful swoop of her neck, and that tiny, tiny wasp waist, and the way she is sipping water from her soup bowl. And you think, you better not take a bite. I think, Despite the fact your stomach is gnawing on itself. I think I would like to offer for the woman to sit next to me so that we may be better acquainted. You could sit next to she her, says, right? That would be lovely. And she pours from her pitcher of water into her glass. 
crystal cut glass, a glass of water. She walks over and she pulls out her own chair, sits next to you and pushes the set food away. Does she push it towards me or towards the Away from both of you, the place next to her. Hmm. She says, you're very young, aren't you? I say, I say that the amount of sunsets that I have experienced is just but one measure of my, um, I guess, wisdom or experience. <laughs> she laughs a little at that. The corner of her mouth quirks up in amusement, but it's slightly haughty. Maybe that's just the cant of her head and the tilt of her chin. She's looking at you and you feel a little small, like this woman knows something that you don't. And it's an uncomfortable feeling for you, especially, which she looks down at your bowl and she says, really now, I don't think that's very becoming of a lady of the house. I look at her and I say, in my family, we all had to work together to accomplish common goals and objectives. Um, Many times we often went without. And when I say that, I pointedly look at her waist and her empty plate. And I say, but despite not having much, there was always enough to share. And I would like for you to have some of my wine. And I pass it towards her. And I say it just like that. She looks down at the wine, frowns a bit, and then she looks back at you and she says, poor child, you're not with your family anymore. This is my family now. And she pushes the plate away and you notice for the first time her fingers. They're all normal, elegant, a bit thin, a little bit bony in the knuckles save for her index and middle finger, which are very long. They're quite long. They're a good three inches longer than the rest of the fingers on her hand as she pushes it aside. And the nails at the tips are sharp. I look at her and I say, um, I compose myself for just a minute because the way that I have always stayed safe is by not being on the forefront. So this is a slightly uncomfortable position for me to be in, but I'm still going to stick with the idea of the strength within community. And I say, um, very well. Well, as someone who is in uh, the home of your family, uh, I offer a uh, gift to you, if you would be so kind and humble as to receive it. And I say, may I? And I ask for her hand. She does. Off- she offers you her hand, that hand with those long, long fingers and that sharp, those sharp curved nails. And she's looking at you like she's already expecting something disappointing, but is willing to entertain it. 
sisters who are awfully quiet. I mean, yeah. I, I like where the witch is going. Maybe, I mean, this is a new family, but we're entering into it. Maybe this is something that we can change. I would like to remember the soft touch of Bluebeard upon my forehead when he caressed the hair out of my face. And I really, really focus on that. And then I think of the reciprocation of that feeling of um, gentle passion uh, as I gently stroked, you know, the rough calloused hands of his palm and read his palm. And I will do exactly that to this woman. I will try to read her palm. Nice, nice. You turn those elegant yet monstrous hands over and look at the lines on her palm. Like any other palm, but for those fingers. And you think back to what you learned from that one mysterious traveler who you'd asked all you could have. And you begin to concentrate, recall knowledge, weave a tale. And then the sharpest pang of hunger rattles through your stomach, gnawing like teeth. And your mouth fills with saliva because all you can smell is the bounty around you. And you haven't eaten in days. How long has it been? You haven't eaten since two nights before now. And it's so distracting. It's so painful. You're a woman of composure, but you are also a living, breathing creature with needs. And it has been a very long day, which take one trauma. I think that the witch um, understands the gravity of the situation. But I think without, without letting the rest of the sisters know, I think the biggest fear that the witch has is that all of the all of the thoughts that she had regarding Bluebeard and his sincerity, all of the things that she suspected of him that were positive, um, she might be looking at herself in the future. So she is going to, she is going to hunker down. She is going to muster any resolve and resilience that she possibly can. And she is going to continue to read this woman's palm. And in the back of her mind, she's going to, with her other hand, mindfully trace the lines in her own hand. And I don't know what type of action that would be if I'm caressing a horror or if I am, um, I'm not sure what you think that would be. You are caressing a horror. Okay. So I will go ahead and roll. I will go ahead and roll. Two Before you roll, blood. tell me Sorry. what you see in Genevieve's hand. What does her palm tell you? I, Outside of the game, I don't know hardly anything about palm reading. I think I know that there is a lifeline, supposedly, on your palm. Um, I think to avoid getting like too worked up in the details, I think what I'm looking for is that same shadow of a doubt that I found in Bluebeard's hand. Um, I saw I saw obvious things such as strength and um, probably power and charm. Uh, but I also saw something that led me to doubt. And what I'm looking for is that same that same shred of doubt in this woman, or is she absolute? Um, so yeah, that's what I'm looking for. What you see first in this woman's palm is the 
iron wall that is her composure. She is a woman who is all poise all the time, all stony concrete outward face. She is a woman whose self-control is her idol. It is all of her. It is her keystone to her being, is that ability to control oneself because you see so much out of control all around her. And as you look deeper into her, your palm, her palm, you see that that massive stony and iron wall that she has made herself to be is full of little hairline cracks. And if that wall comes down, even your great foresight, which does not know what lies on the other side. So I think I will go ahead and complete my role, caress a horror. Caress the horror. And then uh, I would like to add a, um, I, I guess I'd like to add something and I'll let you dictate whether or not it's possible for me to add that. <clears throat> I rolled a 12. Nice. Nice. Caress is the, I think, one of the only successful roles that we have had. This I, got a, I got a 13, by the way, because I have a plus one to blood. And what I would like to do is that as I read this woman's palm in the most sincere and genuine way that I possibly can, I recognize this massive wall that she has built. And I think about how walls protect a community. And it's not the wall that holds value. It's what's behind the wall that is worth protecting, that is worth all of the blood, sweat, and tears that go into founding such a monolith. And as I read the palm on her, as I read her palm on that disfigured hand, I pay no heed to its monstrosity, to its unsightliness. And what I will do is I will tell her of that. I will tell her of the joys of community. And the last thing that I would like to do is this perfect poised woman who is the epitome of control. Perhaps maybe a single hair has come undone from the top of her head and I as an outside force, I would like to brush that hair back and say that together as a community, we are stronger and we will be okay. And that's what I would like to do. Is silent as you speak. Her expression, totally unmovable, perfect, still, free from lines or creases, unlike that wall you had viewed with so many cracks. But in her eyes, you glimpse pain, so much pain, a deep well of suffering that only peeks through that one spot that she can't manage and keep straight. And her eyes well up in a single tear, as clear as the crystal water from the pitcher, rolls down her cheek. She closes her palm, sets her hands in her laps, stands, pushes in her chair, and leaves. I would like to propose a truth to this room. What is your truth, witch? <clears throat> I would like to propose the idea that Bluebeard is a wall and that walls serve two purposes. They serve to protect what is inside of the walls from what is outside. 
but they also serve as a barrier between the outside world and what is within. And the only way that we can achieve peace and cohesion and community is by being willing to open the gates to those walls. Are you proposing a faithfulness or disloyalty? I am proposing a loyalty, but with the caveat that there are other people here that we can help. I hope that through my interaction with this woman, I have showed the rest of my sisters that we are capable, we are competent. Fatal, that steed that was unridden and untamed, you rode it, you conquered it. Barely. But you held on. Mother. It's not the you, same way. You have, you have conquered <laughs> all of the horrors that we have been exposed to so far. Think of Maud. Think of, think of how many more countless rooms are here and how many more possible victims there are or people that have suffered, we can help them. And we can also show Bluebeard the importance of helping them. We can be the neck that turns the head. Right. That's sisters. the other way. The other way to breach a wall is to break it down. That's true. But if the gate will open freely, that's substantially less effort. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not willing to break it down. That might be worth it too. I just wonder, there are many women here already that we've seen and who knows how many more who haven't been able to open that gate. They weren't able to be perfect, which don't you see? But maybe, maybe they haven't worked together before. All of the women that we've met at least have all tried to help us in some for good or for bad, right? Some of However them convoluted of a way yeah. it is. Yeah. Yes. They've they've been trying to help us for the most part. Trying to help us please him, but I'm not convinced that any of them knows how, and therefore I don't think we can learn from them. Yeah. Perhaps but- Bluebeard doesn't know community. Like remember the meal that he shared with us at our home, how genuine his reaction seemed, how happy he seemed, how genuine he seemed in his love towards us that was community he also didn't seem like a man who had a werewolf in his study (laughs) i mean i mean i think which might be right that there are more possible women out here and the women that we've encountered have been trying to teach us how to please him but also to help save us from ourselves too from his wrath and from kind of further punishment from him all all of the um all of the arguments that you guys have made, the witch genuinely, genuinely hears and listens to and understands. However, because the witch is not comfortable at the forefront, because she has survived for so long and so well by hiding behind the other layers of you all, she's going to stick with her initial, her initial bow to loyalty and let you guys be the deciding factor. Isn't there a situation where there's a tie? I forgot how. No, the final determination for faithfulness or loyalty is always the ring holder who who proposed it. Gotcha. So they can't decide. So in fact, which you cannot escape your choice. You can ask them to come to a 
majority vote or something and go with that, but it is your choice. How do you, and that is what I choose. How do you choose? How do you leave a room with neutral? I forgot. You can escape a room oh, right now. The way is clear. Escaping gotcha. has a consequence though. Gotcha. So, uh, so we all truth, vote. Though. We all vote on loyalty or disloyalty. Then is that how that works? If that's no, it's that's not, what up you're to you. You're, you're in charge. Which you can ask your sisters, loyal or disloyal, and then you can tally their votes. But you pull the final lever. Yeah, it's your decision. Yeah, I will. I will. I will make the executive decision. I will be loyal, and whatever you determine my intentions or motives are. Um, that is up for you to decide. That is up for your interpretation. I know what my hidden agenda is, which is that I do not want to be the one who makes the ultimate decision. And I feel more comfortable hiding behind the other layers of me. Just remember we're all the same person. Right. We we are. Yes, but you are no, nothing, well. nothing is yes. hidden to us. Yeah. I'd like to think something, sorry, but yeah. The witches are subconscious. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There are things we don't even realize about ourselves. Super ego, just like, oh, gone down. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, it's true. There, I, um, there are things that we don't I, I think the last thing I would like to do as I as I leave the room uh, with this truth is um, I'll, I'll probably pick up my plate and the plate at the very end of the table, and I will walk up to the servants, and I will say, thank you, um, but I'm actually not hungry. We won't be dining tonight. Perhaps tomorrow night. And I'll what do you take with you as your token of faithfulness? Mm. Take an empty plate. Mm. That's better. But I had great. to return. I had to return both of those. I think I will take. Um, I'm trying to think of what most, what most emulates and signifies like what happened in that room. Um, take a full picture of wine. <laughs> Take a picture of wine. I will take you my totally bowl abstract. of wine. I will take my bowl, take of, wine. bowl of wine. Yep. All right. We are at two tokens of faithfulness and two tokens of disloyalty. Oh, this snap. may very well be your final room. This is the breaker. <clears throat> Which you have the ring. Uh, I am tired Step out into of that the last hall. interaction. Um, I will... I will, we're not hungry. And uh, I think. Um, you can pass the ring to me again. I'm adventuring. You know, you know what, um, Virgin, you were actually the only person that was in my favor uh, last time. And that naivety, I think is, um, I think that your reasoning is wrong, but I'm happy you came to the same reasoning. So I will pass the ring to you. Oh, yay. Thanks, Switch. You just lost your audio, Jess. Oh, shit. Did I? Oh, it's no, back. You're good. Okay, okay, so you're back. Okay. Whoops. Just Lead the way, Virgin. Virgin, you have the ring. Well, where should we go next, though? The whole manor is open to us now. Weirdly enough, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> I am going to go out the way we came and just go to the next door. The very next door. Just pick a random door. Just straight across. Describe the key you use. Um, I would like to use, uh, the key that I use is crystalline blue. It's frost cold. The, the top half of it is kind of 
snowy and kind of covered with snow. It's kind of giving off wisps of um, almost like dry ice mist coming off of it. But when you hold it, it's not too cold. It's just cool to the touch. Um, and it just has the, the picture of a snowy, icy scene. Lost all of my cards. One moment. Gotta be a fucking cold room, Jess. What are you doing? <laughs> snow is snow is pretty. I don't know. Just, snow is pretty. You unlock the door. Pains easily. Open it up, and you're met by chilled air. As you step into a nursery, painted white and blue, with little snowmen on the walls, there is a cradle all whitewashed and a crystalline little mobile hanging above it with snow white doves. There's a baby making a little worrying noise, just fussing a tiny bit. You hear the noise, but you can't see into the cradle from where you are. And to one end, there's a little turret of windows with a little sitting area and a rocking chair. And there is a woman languishing in the rocking chair, head lolled back. She's very thin, very pale. Her eyes are closed. Deep, dark circles seem to smudge her eyelids. She is scarcely moving at all. You're not sure she's even breathing. But the baby makes that fussing, worrying sound again and then cracks into a cry. And your breasts suddenly feel very heavy, very sore and you have an ache in your heart. You remember your youngest siblings fussing like that when something was wrong or when they were hungry and just inconsolable. Virgin, what do you do? Um, I'm going to go see, I guess, if I can pick up the baby and just see if I can settle it a little bit. Rock it. You walk over to the cradle and there is a baby resting in the cradle. He's wrapped in a tiny little pale blue swaddling blanket that's edged in white fur like a snowshoe rabbit. You reach down and you scoop him up and he, he looks like a baby's alive. His skin is warm to the touch despite the chill in the room. You can see the little puff of his breath and he cries and you can feel his, his little limbs just struggling against the swaddling. His eyes are open, just little slits. He's very close to newborn couple days old maybe a week and he just cries and he feels so light and so fragile in your hand does this count as kind of caring for someone if I yep you can yep made a move care for him you holding him bouncing him shushing him and you again feel that that weight in your breasts that ache and you look down and You've bled through your mother's beautiful blue dress, your nipples have just spotted blood in little pools. Oh, jeez. Um, hmm. I think I would like to investigate the woman that's in the room. I want to check for her pulse and see okay. if she is alive. Yeah, I will uh, move. I will try and kind of rock the baby and I guess move there to check on her. You walk over to bouncing the infant cradled in your arms over to the woman languishing asleep, maybe dead in that rocking chair. And as you get closer, you see she is alive. Her chest rises and fall. 
just barely. You can see the ribs in the top of her chest, her prominent collarbones. Her, the collar of her shirt is quite low, sagging, like it's been pulled on a lot. Um, she has the tiniest little, she has like a, a pot belly. She's a very thin woman, but she has a pot belly. She's just very thin, very pale, bruised, almost bruised in her eyes, scarcely breathing. She looks exhausted, wasted, drained. Hmm. The baby is still crying. The baby is, is fussing with the occasional cry, has not gone into full-on wailing okay. because it is he is responding a little bit to your, your shushing and your humming. Okay. Um, I'm still bleeding. Um, you are still bleeding. The spots on your, on, your, on your chest continue to grow and widen and feel wet. Mm. It's, the coldness of the room is chilling through the warmth of the blood. Um, so it's, it's a baby, but does that still count as kind of investigating maybe the baby? <laughs> you can investigate the baby. Yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> like, can I ask whose baby is this and why, what about it is odd or uncanny? Absolutely. As you look down into the face of the, of the struggling, fussing infant in your arms, you see that though he is a newborn and his features are those soft, just common newborn features. You can see the little peak in his slitted eye is that his eyes are deep, deep, drowning blue, and his head is crowned by just a soft, full head of that fine, downy baby hair, but it is jet, jet black, like bluebeards, almost blue in the low light. Hmm. This precious little boy. Hmm. And the woman is, is sleeping? She's unconscious. Um, perhaps she could be roused, perhaps not, but... Her breath is very shallow and she's laying in an uncomfortable position. One of her arms is dangling. Her head is lulled back, um, making all the knobs of her throat very prominent, but she is not stirring. Okay. Um, I guess I will kneel down a little bit, still supporting the baby and see if I can stir her and see if, are, are you okay? You reach out to touch the woman, shake her gently. As soon as your hand makes contact, a wail, just a cry of absolute anguish, so loud, sounds out behind you, just this terrible scream of grief, not coming from the woman in front of you, behind. Behind, okay. Heartbroken. So take stock. Uh, what traps have been laid for the bride? Yeah. The one you just touched. <laughs> the woman before you does not seem like a threat um that that cry did not rouse her you're not sure she will ever wake again you turn toward the sound and you see <laughs> there is another woman in this room at the other end of the room somewhere in a shadow she's been standing she is in a loose white nursing gown the bottom half completely saturated with blood some black some dried just mottled gore and she is just hunched in on herself, holding her ribs, wailing, racking with huge, just tumultuous sobs. And she says, feed my baby. Save my baby, please. He's starving. I can't bear to hear him cry. And at that, the infant starts wailing. Those full-on powerful child sobs that are just 
inconsolable grief coming from the fact that the entire world is unknown to them. All he knows in this moment is fear. Perhaps rub some wine on his gums. Okay, I'll-, I'll It'll buy us time to figure out what we need to do. I'll listen to the witch and I'll try that. I'll dip. You take a little dab of wine, rub it into the infant's mouth. He turns his little head feebly and you realizing how weak he really is. You have some experience with newborns with your own siblings and that attempt to just get away from your fingers and the wine on them is so feeble. And he's, if it weren't for the fabric holding him together, he almost feels like he would fall apart. I, I'm, I'm bleeding. I don't think I can help. The blood has traveled. It's completely saturated your bosom now and it's traveling down past your sternum. What, what, what? Cry out for help. Yeah, cry out for help. Cry out for help. Call for, call for a, um, I, I mean, I would imagine that there are women here to care for children. So aside from the two in this room that are incapable of doing so. Mother, what do you think? Mother, what do you think? <laughs> I'm inclined to feed the baby. Oh, we're bleeding. Help her. We can't I'm help the baby. I'm entirely sure that's not what it wants. What it wants. Animals. I mean, the choice is yours, Virgin. I want to help people as much as as much as mother. I just think the route we take is different. Use somebody else who has something more to give at the moment. Animus. What do you I, think? This isn't. I don't. I don't know. This is not my area. The wailing woman steps closer into the room and you can hear the wet squeak of her feet on the floor, wet. And you see that the bottom hem of her skirt, much like the top, all saturated in blood, but she's dragging a trail of gore and blood with her. And behind her, as she walks closer to you, rounds the, rounds the cradle, there's a long, wet, glistening umbilical cord just dragging in her wake as she comes closer to you. And she says, please, please feed my baby. I cannot bear to hear him cry. I cannot do it. I'm not a real woman. Please have mercy on me. You are a real woman. I, I, will, I will feed the baby. I will listen to mother and try and feed the baby. You shrug off the shoulder of your gown bearing your bleeding breast to the child. Raise the child's head as you have seen your mother done for your siblings. And the baby latches on. Mm -hmm. um, while the baby is feeding at, at the same time, can I, can I try and console the woman and try and care for her and say, I'm, I, I'm doing as you asked. It, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Your baby is being fed. She falls to her knees in front of you, just sort of clutching at your skirt, sobbing and pleading, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you can see the trail of blood and gore and thicker bits just in her wake all the way across the room now. And it's such a pale room, just this beautiful wintry scene. There are birches painted on the walls, snow covered, and that streak of red and black and viscous fluid. You need, just totally cutting the room in half. You need help. Is there a doctor here? How are you surviving like this? 
She says, don't worry about me. Just help my baby. And she just clings to your skirt and she rests her head against your thigh, sobbing. Maybe we can help both of you. Virgin, you're beginning to feel lightheaded. Take one trauma. What are you at for trauma, Virgin? I'm fine. That's my first. <laughs> yes, Fatal. Thank you. Yeah, you kept you ditching it me. on me. Thanks, Virgin. You saved me. Yeah. <laughs> Why has no one you- helped you? It's not about me. It's about him. Just help him. Please help him. Help my child. Check and see if the baby looks any better. Look down at the baby. He's nursing. He's nursing aggressively. Uh, He has quite an appetite, this little guy. Um, He does feel perhaps a little firmer in your grasp. He's warm to the touch um, and just drinking away like he has been starving. The poor thing. Look, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. I did what you asked. She sucks in a few big racking breaths and she nods and just continues to cling to your your skirt. But her sobbing subsides and she's just taking just huge, rough breaths. She shuts her eyes and just leaves her head leaning against your thigh. And the baby keeps nursing. Virgin, take another trauma. The room looks a little fuzzy around the edges. And we got to propose a truth here, guys. Okay. Okay. That's up to you, V. I mean, I'll propose a truth, like you have more you can give. True. I mean, I'll propose a truth, but I I don't really know what the truth is. There is something there there's something that this guy just this guy holds women to these standards (laughs) and discards them when they don't live up to them. That's been every single room that we've gone into. She said it. I'm not a real woman. I can't feed my baby. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I agree with you, Fatal. But there there is something, um, you know, the witch, the witch sometimes thinks about things in a kind of unorthodox manner. And perhaps it's the jet black, almost blue hair that this baby has. But I think of this baby as an incarnation of Bluebeard himself. And I would like to see if this baby's appetite can be sated or if it is insatiable. Mm. So Mm. I would like the virgin to keep feeding. Because that will that will make or break my decision. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. She never tells us the right thing to do. Hey, I got us out of trouble in the last room. Barely. It's true. I, I agree with you, Fatal, that it seems like this is just another example, right, of finding women and having a specific purpose or a specific way he wants to use them and then leaving them that way. And we don't know it's what ours is him. yet. We don't know what ours is yet. We don't know why he added us to this place. We have a place to go back to still. A family we can run back to that will take us back with open arms. A farm to help run, siblings to help take care of. A nice boy next door. 
we have things that we can do. I Amber. These women. We. He seems to subject all of these women to one thing. We are not one thing, and I don't think any of them were. We cannot let ourselves become one thing. I guess my question is, though, what does opening that last door give us? Right? Like being disloyal? So he's taken a piece of us. He's, He's taken a piece of us for sure. And if we are to take a token from this room, I vote that we take the child. That I agree with. I agree. Because I thought that we could build community and save somebody. That might be the only person we can help. Why the child and not the woman? I don't even know if she's still breathing. She's, she's just laying her head on your lap motionless, so... Because Why not? This baby, this baby represents potential. It's an, I think it's an incarnation of Bluebeard himself. So that, and what, what better mm-hmm. way to defile this horrible thing that he is than if we can raise this child to be something so much more? But at the same time, if we choose the child over the mother, or if either of them can be chosen as tokens, are we valuing? Bluebeard over the women that he's damaged. I mean, this baby will face a similar fate. Do we know that? Or it'll just become the next Bluebeard. Unless we prevent that from happening. We don't know that the baby is being threatened, though. Maybe it was starving. It's sucking the life force out of you. It is starving. That's a good point. (laughs) That's a good point. But is vampiric baby not going to be vampiric baby out of here because I don't think I want to raise a vampiric baby as motherling mothering as I am I don't think a baby that needs fresh blood is the baby that ought to survive I think I think if exposed to other alternatives um perhaps it would perhaps it would work right I I don't know if it's I don't know if it's safe to say that just because this is the environment it's grown up in. That's the only environment that it's conducive to. That's true. We could find other ways. This is um, his. Trust but, anything that belongs to him. I'm with Animus. I think this is something of his and I'm not sure I trust it. And I'm not sure I want to take the risk and say that maybe the baby could be redeemed. Whereas if we could save a woman, we could save a woman and know she can be redeemed. I pose to the Virgin Virgin, is your, is your purity yours if somebody takes it from you? Mother, is your protective nature yours if somebody strips that from you? Fatal, if you lose your guile and your charms, are they yours truly? If we take this baby here and now, is it Bluebeard's? I'm not even sure the baby can be a token. It's a thing that lives in this place, not an object. It's a living creature. Technically, it's maybe. A I would think. I mean, the, the game, the the gamekeeper or groundskeeper did say that it was something that was a 
can be a loose thing. It doesn't have to make sense. Perhaps that's something we can take. I think I think it's up to the Virgin to pose a truth and then see if she can take it or not, if she wants. Yes. Yes. If she wants to. Yes. Uh, or just I, spike it and we run. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I guess my final truth is that um, all of these women uh, were chosen for a specific purpose. We don't know what our purpose is. I am going to choose the disloyal token and the woman that is bleeding from the bottom down is the only woman thus far at least that is severely injured and still bleeding so I would like to take the woman with us in hopes to get her help I would pose one last thing if that's the case go ahead I would pose that you smother the baby so that it doesn't starve to death which if you're going to take the woman put the baby out of its misery Probably crying right now. It's still nursing. <laughs> oh, perfect. So you're Virgin. providing comfort. This is an internal moment, so a lot of things are happening very quickly in your mind, but the baby is still nursing. I assume the woman in the rocking chair died of this baby nursing or is dying of this baby nursing. So you shouldn't she looks take too long. Like on she this. had been recently pregnant herself and has wasted away. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can. Is there mm-hmm. someone who can? Yeah. Not me. Okay. Animus? Okay. I'll do it. Are you sure? No. But if we can save this woman, I'm going to fucking save the woman. She has a chance. She could have a life. We could fucking take her back to the farm get her back to health with a doctor and take care of her. But this isn't about taking the woman. This is about. This is right though. The baby is his guys. Why don't you understand that? Ending the baby suffering. What you what he did to all these other women? This is, this is just going to grow up to be another one. Unless we prevent that from happening. Yep. Which is right. Do we get to make that decision? Is there not a chance that the baby could be different? There is a chance. Is there the not a chance that if what we about the get help he, or if we leave, then... You listen for once. What about the chances that he gave all these women? They didn't have a chance. Why should his kid have a chance? Fuck what his if, kid. Because... His kid. Fuck his kid and fuck him. His kid might not get raised from him. If we can get out of here, if we can leave. It definitely won't be if we do what we're doing right now. If we can get out of here and if we can leave, we can get all of these women <clears throat> out and the child out and the child would have a different life. Doesn't mean he'll grow up as Bluebeard. The witch is right about. So we try to get the mother out. We leave the baby. And we get out of here and we get help. That's or do we pick the baby and leave the mother? That's up to Virgin, you, you've got to make the decision. I think we're all with Virgin. you on disloyal. We're all with you on disloyal. What token are you taking? I mean, I, I already did. I, I thought the question was what to do with the baby, but I am picking. Oh, kill the baby. That's what I mean. That's so, Virgin, you're trying to take the woman as a token of disloyalty. Correct. And you're deciding. And the Virgin has asked if someone else could do it. 
or if we're not going to do it or if you're just going to leave the baby i mean the witch will do it the witch is the one that's adamant about it the animus offered as well um i think i am going to take the woman take the disloyal token and leave all right do you set the baby back down in the crib yes you set the baby in the crib you reach down to this suffering woman you attempt to help her to her feet she's so wobbly on her feet the pool of blood beneath her has grown so much she can barely stand you can see her knees knocking beneath that saturated fabric and as you realize what bluebeard does to all of these women to all of his beautiful and horrifying things the room goes very quiet and her touch turns feather light in your hands where she had been leaning on you so heavily and she, you blink and she's just gone. The room is silent, empty, cold. You see the frost of your breath. Puffing in this tomb silent nursery. You see the little stuffed bunny, the little snowy doves in the mobile, the way they glint slightly in the moonlight. And you look at that rocking chair, empty, with the moon casting down upon it. And you feel great loss in this place that is supposed to hold new life. And I leave the room. All right. So that means now we have. We have come to the end of our game. There are only a couple choices left. You have filled your disloyalty track, Bride. You are not going to remain faithful to your generous new husband. Your first choice that remains is, do you wish to go to that final room or do you just wish to leave? <coughs> leave. I wish to leave. Let's leave. Get, we need to get out of here, leave. Yeah, I've seen enough to know I don't want to know. You gather what provisions you can hastily from the bedroom that you now know where it is, and you flee into the night. It's summer, but the air is unusually cold and heavy on your skin. You have only one choice left. Do you run back home and present your evidence to the town about the nature of your husband? or? Do you run away to start a new life somewhere else far, far from this place? Nature of our husband. Home. 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 Where the walls are solid and not cracked. (laughs) Animus. And And the gates are open. What did the town do to rid themselves of the bride's disloyal ravings? Is this posed to, to uh, the Virgin? This no, is the this Animus. Is Sarah. The Animus. As in, like, get her out of the town? Mm-hmm. What did they do to rid themselves of the bride's disloyal ravings?
gave her what they could and told her to leave. Because... They feared that she would bring something much worse upon the town if she were to stay and that she herself might now pose a danger. Mother, how did Bluebeard blackmail the bride's family into silence? Bluebeard charmed my next youngest sister, only 14 years old and promised that if they didn't stay quiet, he would marry her. Fatal, what loving gift does Bluebeard send the bride for their wedding anniversary? A single child shoe to remind her of the son that he had there. Virgin, what new room in Bluebeard's house haunts the bride's dreams every night? What new room? Haunts the bride's dreams? Yes. Haunts um, them. Uh, a playroom where there are many more children. Which, how does the bride make herself at home in that perfect new room? Is this the room that uh, Jess just mentioned? A playroom with many more children. She she gazes out the window and thinks of all of the things that could have been. Thank you all for watching.